I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. Yeah. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and produced by Nicholas Live. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Yo, what's up, Mr. Lot? What's up, Mr. Joe Getty? Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you, thank you. And oh, hey, DJ. Hey. Oh, hey, DJ. Hey, 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 Joe. Put that microphone in your face. This one, right? Is that better, Nick? Thank you very much. There we go. Yeah, we're sharing the burden. Yes. It's um as we get started, man. Next week's guest is a guy named Adam Buckner. Adam Buckner owns a company called Option Studios. Option Studios is actually uh, one of our advertisers and one of the people who support the show. And also actually does work for the Rating Center, which I own. Uh, Nick, I showed you those shirts, didn't I? They're beautiful. You were just showing me so those shirts. Justin will share on the Facebook stream here real quickly. Um, They're very Asian. The <coughs> video, uh, the pictures. <laughs> if you want to check it out, if you're on the Facebook stream, these are uh, the new shirts coming out from the Rating Center. We will share them. I'll have them on Facebook probably tomorrow. Um, we hope to have them in about a week. So if we owe you T-shirts right now, which I've been a little backlogged, I have them coming for you. If you want to buy T-shirts, check them out. They're twenty dollars. Uh, I'll have them on the Rating Center fan page. Just to interrupt with something totally irrelevant and borderline rude, I wonder how many people <coughs> listen to the show have never seen the Facebook Live show Most. and don't know that you're a little bit Asian. I say that so I can look chink-eyed. That's racist. <laughs> <laughs> It's not racist if I say it. Well, you're only half Asian, so that's halfway racist. I hate myself. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, how long has it been since the Rating Center's got some new shirts? I know I've got at least two different styles of them. Man. It's been um, five years or so with the current design. And Um, that's the... The the Swooping Sunset. uh, Teal Blue. And the one before that is the Ash Dive, correct? Dennis is at Ash okay. Dive, yeah. And then there was one before it, which is just straight up the Rating Center logo. Um, early on, um, nobody knew who the Rating Center was, and just to get some brand recognition. What if I don't know who the Rating Center is right now? Um, we're a bunch of assholes who uh, like to teach people to skydive. Beautiful. What sort of ratings are available through the Ratings Center? Uh, so we're, we're not a bunch of assholes. Hank, if you've ever listened to the show, Henry Pruitt is, is, uh, one of the examiners. Valerie Marvin is my wife. My wife is, uh, very shortly we'll have some new friends checked out here in Houston, but we offer coach ratings, tandem ratings, AFF instructor ratings. Um, this next week, Hank will be running a tandem instructor course. If you've wanted to, uh, cut away from your real world, if you want to work part-time in skydiving, you want to check it out, come to a course at the rating center, immerse yourself in the system for a few days, for a week, and see what it's like to live on, on the drop zone and, 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 and learn what people are doing. So we're really out there, and we try to keep a, a small classroom setting. don't like too many candidates. I can teach six people, but I don't think you get the one-on-one service if we limit it. I think mine was like two when I took it with you. You and who? Uh, Potter. Microphone in your face. No, put the microphone yeah. close to your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, you see this? Time? You see this move? You'll see yeah, me okay, and DJ sorry, do this move a lot. Not, yeah, I'm you just got it. You just gotta build, got it. It's part of your it. face now. Okay, it's it's part part travels with your face. Um, duct tape. John, John <laughs> Barry's penis. Your face doesn't. Separate. Jeez, come oh, on. Oh, it makes sense now. It's too early oh, for sexual sense. harassment. It's never too early or too late. You didn't do. Potter did his course in Skydive Houston with It and a couple other people. No, I did it with. Potter and I were together. 
Mm, I'm positive Potter mm. and IT were partners in the course. No, Hold on, are, we, are we confusing this, coach this courses and instructor? Okay, wait a minute. That's a good question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what rating? Tandem. Tandem. Okay, sweet. Thank you, Nick. Good job. <laughs> yeah, you guys did do your we tandem did, rating yeah. together. Son of a bitch. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I remember I like I chinned you in the f- in the head, and you were like, mm-mm. Nope, don't do that. And that I like, hurts. I was like, wait a second. I thought I was you supposed to You chinned him? Yeah, I chinned him. Is this another like, racist Asian remark? <laughs> Possibly. No, he grabbed my arms and he was like, how do you get out of this? I'm like, slap you in the head with my chin. And he's like, no, that's not how you do it. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, like, try to get your fine. arms back first before you hit yeah. somebody. <laughs> mm, I like it's Joe's fine. method better. Yeah. Um, he hadn't tried to get him back yet. Try to get him back. He probably can. I would have mm. let go as soon as you tried. Probably. No. Maybe. I okay. just show you I can grab them. When you pull back there, you can have them back. Oh, they're my hands. Yeah. You, you just cup up a fight, but man, that hurts. If you chin me on the back of the head, it leaves a knot, and I bite my tongue sometimes. Mm. I, I still w- like Nick's theory that that's some kind of racist remark. Where Chin- Chinning chin? someone. Chin? Oh, I get it. Now. Okay, sorry. <laughs> it's like hitting them with a Chinese phone book. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, man. So here's the wah, first wah. first shirt shot. What happened? Justin. It's up, up on oh, the Facebook God, live you stream. see what Justin's doing right now? If you're watching the live stream, you're seeing these brand new t-shirts. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's uh, oh, wow. really kind of got a similar feel to last time, last shirt, the Rating Center logo in the center. Um, I like vintage stuff. I like classic cars, so the badging in the background kind of gave it that vintage uh front bumper front end look um it says genuine skydiving instruction um kind of like that uh, adam had suggested it like genuine the, the old school shirts say genuine whatever and i like it because if you've ever learned with a guy at the rating center i firmly believe hank is a very genuinely caring person a very genuine person um Aaron is going to be teaching spanish courses for us soon she genuinely cares and, and so i like the genuine part in there it's our 10th year anniversary, so through established in 2008, uh, under there, tagged in, just somewhere a little hidden. So we had a little bit of fun. The second one really, or the back, really throws back to the original designer, or the second, the last design as well. Um, everything st- sticks around the center, the loco, the circle. Um, got actually a, a buddy of ours, Bo Reby from PD, swooping on the side of my T-shirt. I don't know if he knows he's on my shirt yet or <laughs> nice. not. Not quite yet, probably. No, so... Uh, um, Adam's got the, uh, the, the rights to that picture. So we use that and, uh, and kind of, yeah, I, I don't know how to describe it, man. I gave Adam some ideas and I let him run with it. I am not a graphic designer to save my fucking life. I think Waz really rubbed off on me from last week. Cause I almost shouted, shout, shout out, out to Option <laughs> Studios. <laughs> Might be hitting hard with the shout outs. <laughs> Yo, shout out, shout out to, uh, the mighty, mighty DQ. Shout out to air. Uh, so yeah, those are the t-shirts. <laughs> and then here are the ladies' options as well. Oh yeah, so we're getting them in different colors. Uh, we've got the Heather. Heather is that kind of little white flaky and stuff. The charcoal for men and also the red. You see on the women there, we'll have those in men. And the women's, we'll have the red and the purple. Uh, first run, first batch. Second run, we'll probably do some other colors available. Um, just kind of had to uh, get what I could right now. So... Um, check them out. Check out Option Studios. Uh, Adam will be here next week. You'll get to hear a little bit more about him. And do check it out. I got that design last night. Let's see what Adam does. Do you think he'll have us t-shirts next week with him when he shows up? Are you putting him on the spot publicly right now to bring us t-shirts? <laughs> do you think he can do it? I mean, I'm not going to doubt the guy. 
All right. But I'm not going to be upset if I don't get a t-shirt next week. He told me they're going to be here next week. Oh, well, see, now what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> do you think he's going to do this thing he told me he was going to do? Well, I just wanted to man. sit here and call him out. So I see how you're going to be No, doing. I'm trying to be nice about it. If he brings me a shirt, I'm going to be very graciously uh, accepting of said shirt. But if he shows up with no shirt, I'm not going to be like, hey, what's up, asshole? He's bringing actually me the I shirts. Mean, Those are the radiance. Yeah, shirts. that's fine. I ain't giving him man. <laughs> I have two already. Joe Getty, welcome to the show. <laughs> Sorry, I, do, I feel like we have not even addressed the fact that you're sitting here. I'm just chilling out. It's good. Well, here you are. Here you are in Houston. Uh, where, where are you from originally? Mm, that is always the question that I get as a travel nurse. Uh, where are you from? I'm like, well, it's kind of a hard question. I'm from everywhere, and people are like, no, where are you from? I'm like, well, Michigan, Vermont, Texas. You know, you take your pick. I've spent an equal amount of time in each, so. Kind of from all those places. Where were you born? Detroit. Really? Get that might closer yeah. to your fort base in Detroit, Detroit City. Yeah, try to just, you see the point angle? It, point it like right in front of your face. <sighs> your your yeah, ice other cream coming coming right now. Okay, I'm other way. Yep. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Tickle your That's mustache beautiful. regularly. Okay. This oh, guy is so much better. Sweaty balls. Hey there. Mm, <laughs> sweaty balls. Yeah. Yeah. Is this better? Yeah, Kay. really. All right, so Detroit is where I'm born. So I spent their time there until I was about 13. I moved to Vermont. And then when I was 20-ish, I moved down to Texas and started jumping here, and then now I'm everywhere. So, you don't... Wh- where's your shit at right now? Like, do you oh, own a bed? So, this is a... <laughs> I do own a bed, actually. <laughs> Where is it? So, it's actually in My house? a DJ's garage. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. You live at <laughs> DJ's house. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, so, yeah. my I always say my stuff is in Texas, my mom's in Vermont, and then the, my extended family's in Michigan, so... That answers your question a little bit better. And so, where have you spent the last year? Um, in let's see, Nebraska, New Hampshire, uh, Las Vegas, and currently I'm in Salt Lake City. I think it would help people really to qualify one thing. What do you do for a living? So I'm a nurse, uh, and I have recently, about a year ago, started the travel nurse gig. Um, so every 13 weeks or so, I go to a new spot. Um, usually take time off in between and, you know, enjoy the road trip across the states wherever I'm going and just kind of find myself wherever I'm at. So does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes <laughs> sense, man. The, the traveling nurse has given you such a great opportunity to, to A, skydive in a lot of cool places, but B, to see a lot of adventurous parts of the world. You're, you're outside a lot. You're climbing, you're hiking, you're doing mm-hmm. whatever. Um, where did you learn and when did you learn to skydive? Um, so I started in Vermont at Vermont Skydiving Adventures. Um, which I have to say is like one of the most beautiful places I've ever jumped. Um, small little two sets in the drop zone. You know, you've only got maybe 10 people in the drop zone all day and then you got your tandems and whatnot. But at the end of the day, when you make a skydive, you know, you see the sun setting over the Adirondacks, you fly up, you see the sun again, you jump out of the plane, see another sunset. It's just a cool feeling. But small little drop zone, great little place. You know, they always say uh, you come for the skydiving, you stay for the adventures. So... I like that same. I, I, it's it's back to the sport right there. Not really mm-hmm. the sport, the community, the family. Absolutely. It's one thing that's hard to reproduce at some of the big DZs is that feel. Did you ever do formation loads there? Uh, we did. Actually, we had what's called the Ricky Boogie. Um, and I never, unfortunately, met Ricky, but a uh, great guy from what I understand. But we did, I think it was a five Cessna formation load one time. What? <laughs> Five, oh yeah. man which is crazy it's like you just see five sessions and you're all like maybe like 20 feet away from each other right and you're just like huh okay this is <laughs> happening all right like i can literally like high five the next person in the next plane but you know it's great it was a great time you know we all got out you know the formation was more or less together at ten thousand. you know we only get out with twelve thousand there so it was a good time 
I liked it. Man, 12 grand in a Cessna? How long is that ride? Oh, I don't even want to know. 12 days? I read a book one time. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It, I, a lot of people don't realize or think about it. One one of the real popular things to do here in Spaceland Houston is to get your, I'm going to do these wrong, the SCR, StarCrest recipient. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you do an eight-way. You, you build an eight-way speed star, and it's super cool to do. It's super uh, cool to accomplish, but a lot of younger jumpers are doing it quicker and quicker because we're learning quicker, we're learning faster. But I think the real love or appreciation for that award was lost because your drop zone mm-hmm. is why that award came out. Right. The little tiny drop zones. Yeah, man. You To put an eight-way together, you have to have two full Cessnas go up together. Right. It's huge. It's something else, man. Yeah. Um, it's super neat. So you learned that. How did you find out about skydiving? What, what brought this into your world? Um, it was actually a buddy of mine in high school. Um, he went skydiving one summer and did AFF. And um, I was like, hey, man, like I got to get into that. Like, How do I get into that? So um, I ended up doing an AFF jump and I was telling the, the instructor all day long, like, Hey, like, you know, I'm only going to do this once. Like I'm not going to do it again. He kept, it's a good, it's a good whiskey. And, uh, kept telling him, um, like, I'm never going to do this again. Like this one time jump, you know, I'm never going to do it. It'll be a good time, but won't come back. I literally got down after he taught me the beer rules after the first jump. Right. So I heard the beer rules, went up, skydived, came back down. I was like, okay, A, what kind of beer do you like? B, when can I come back? Like this is, you know, just instant. Instant love for it. So you didn't uh, have tandems involved in your uh, learning progression at all? Nope. So when was your first tandem? My first tandem actually was in um, Jumptown for my tandem instructor course <coughs> that I did there for Strong. Uh, I was strapped to the front of Ted Ruckel, and uh, I mean, I mean, it was a little sketchy jumping on the front of Ted, but love the guy. Oh, but uh, okay. it was like maybe, I want to say, 300 jumps in, I think, when I did my first tandem. So was this before there's a 500 jump rule for a tandem instructor? Well, I did. Uh, I should say that. I think I did a tandem for somebody's tandem course earlier. Oh, for someone else's yeah, course. Yeah, okay, I got And you. then I did mine later on. So Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you actually went on a front ride in, in course. Uh, yeah, with you, I think. One, um, quite, it was... With Potter, I think it was. I, uh, I took Potter. Who else was working that course with me? Just me and Potter. Just, um, I feel like. No, I'm, I'm positive I pair. Usually we pair people up. Usually if there's two of you, I take two exa- two examiners or evaluators up at once. Mm. Um, anyways, man, so back to you started skydiving. How old were you when you started jumping? Um, 17, 18, something like that. You couldn't buy beer? No, I could not. My mom did. Yeah, you said sweet. Whoops. I think I texted her like, Mom, like, bring beer. Like, go to the corner <laughs> store and get some beer for me. I uh, can't buy it for yeah. these guys. So I think you started uh, in the day and age before the... Uh, right now, if you're jumping in the United States, your chances are you're at a USPA drop zone. United States Parachute Association, uh, 98% or something like that of drop zones in the United States are members of USPA. They agree to follow USPA's basic safety requirements that currently say nobody can skydive under the age of 18 without a waiver. And they give waivers for special reasons like uh, uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation, um, mm-hmm. DZO's kid wants to learn to skydive. Well, you're in the family. We, we understand. You know the risks. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, when you started, you could skydive at the age of 16. No tandems under 18, but under 16 and older, you could do those skydives. Right. That's when you started. It was a different day and age. Today, they don't let people skydive. Mm-hmm. Do you think somebody should be... Uh, you were 17 when you made your first jump. Do you think people should be allowed to do that? <sighs> it's a tough question to answer. I feel like... Um, some it's a, it's very situational. I feel like 
you know, some kids should be able to do that, but it's all about your mental status. You know, do they really understand the risk? You know, are they ready? Like you were saying, um, kids who are part of the DZ family, they probably have a better understanding of what actually can, can happen versus, you know, just the enjoyment out of it. You know, Nick, I, I see you about to eat. So I hate no, to do please it. interrupt yeah. me <laughs> no, because I was, I was thinking about this of like, well, I mean the difference between 16 and 18, two years, like, 18 years old. Do you know how stupid the average 18 year old? Do you know how dumb I was at 18 years old? <laughs> I'm glad I didn't when, start skydiving at 18. I would kill myself. There wasn't a lot that I was doing at 18 that I wasn't already doing at 16. And so it's like, I, I do agree that there should be a hard line drawn somewhere of like, this is how old most people need to be before they're capable of making this decision. But uh, man, the difference between 18 and 16, it's just a weird thing. And I think it's it's true that from person to person, there are huge differences of what two different 18-year-olds might look like and how you know mentally developed those two people might be. But it's like, what are we going to give every person a psychological evaluation right. before we say, yeah, it's okay. So no, you just draw the line somewhere. But uh, I think because like culturally, there's 18 is just such a significant age that we just decided that, oh yeah, that's this and that's this. You can do this stuff at 18. That That's why it seems to fit like the the rest of the thought of like yeah you should be eighteen before you can do this, but um, gosh I mean I can I can imagine a lot of competent sixteen year olds that I mean obviously that uh, that would do fine on on an AFF jumper right. especially a tandem at sixteen, but uh, I don't make those rules so I mean I guess like if you're eighteen you know you can make the d- decision to do a tandem I think that's perfectly okay when you have a competent tandem instructor which you know ninety nine point nine percent of tandem instructors are. But like making an AFF jump at the age of eighteen or sixteen, I think that's a, a different story. For which, sure. which is, yeah. I, and I agree, and I think that that's what's odd about it mm-hmm. is that the there are still some places in the U.S. where you can do an AFF jump before you're eighteen, right? Not not many, yes, but these still exist, yes, mm-hmm. for sure. So you have to do a um you know, a skydive with more responsibility, more risk before you're 18 but you got to wait two right. more years to do it a safer way yeah to me that seems very odd mm-hmm. but uh, again i don't make those rules it's how old do you have to be to get a pilot's license Ooh, i feel like it's 16 i think it's 16 or slightly younger but 16 i think is right how old do you have to be to get a driver's license 16, 16. i'm pretty sure of that one yeah um man i i just i 16 for pilot license. okay cool i i just for me i don't I don't have a problem. It's up to parents. There should be parents involved in the decision because yeah. they should know the kids the best. Um, but with parental consent, I have zero issues with kids skydiving at the age of 16. I understand there's some boundaries. Like for, for tandems, the boundary is the tandem manufacturer's waiver. They will not stand behind it under the age of 18. Um, then you get into, I'm not a lawyer, contract law, and signing your rights for minors. But it happens in every, I mean, major industries do this. The trampoline park we went to the other day. Trampoline? Trampoline. They had to do waivers. I the, the connection with the manufacturers and, and the age of 18 is just for the same same reason that younger than 18, you can't be hold, you can't be held accountable from the contract that you've signed, right? And that's where I'm not a lawyer. Well, that's my understanding. Yes, you, you've you. got to be 18 to sign a legal contract, yeah. which yes. is why you're not able to sign the waiver at 16. It's not a question of whether a 16-year-old is mentally prepared enough to, to make the decision to skydive. It's a, just a question of, oh, well, our lawyer can't back that up because you're not an old, old enough to 
write your name all squiggly on a piece of paper and have it mean something, which yeah. is a little bit crazy. They can't take on the liability for themselves. Yeah. Right? Well, I should clarify on the pilot license, the 16 for balloons and gliders, 17 for powered flight. But how, how young could a person be flying an airplane with a co-pilot? says you can begin at 14, you can begin training. So oh, you can wow. have a 14-year-old basically you know, at, a at the controls a of an airplane, just like you've got a tandem student you know, on doing a front ride with a tandem instructor. So that's what's weird to me is I feel like it, if you're skydiving at 14, you're really only risking your own safety for the most part, right? I mean, compared to a 14-year-old behind the controls of an airplane, you can that do a lot more dangerous. damage with, with an airplane. I, yeah, it's Just, what we do. Kamikaze! <laughs> 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 so, yeah, I think there's definitely a mismatch with some of those rules, but... Uh, going to be Pearl Harbor all over again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> man, I, it's, it interests me just because I remember um, I found out you uh, start skydiving when you were 17 because when you got your tandem rating, the math, mm-hmm. I, uh, the math just at the time, my brain wasn't there. Somebody asked me about you. How could he be doing his tandem rating at 20 when you right. have to be 18 to make a skydive? I'm like, uh, you, had, you could skydive at 17. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it was possible. And 16, Alex O'Connor, you know Alex. Yeah. Uh, and you know Alex Nick. Alex started when he was 16 years old. Right. So uh, plenty of, of, of competent, smart people can skydive. Absolutely. I uh, I don't know why, but having you on here made me just want to ring that awesome. bell, yeah, get good. that conversation going. I, w- I was just super curious. So you got hooked. You were at a 182 drop zone. Be, hold on. Be honest. You you used a fake ID, right? Totally. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> proceed. Because you still look like you needed a fake ID to buy this fucking. I mean, I still do. Tell them or do. <laughs> hey, man, it's good whiskey. I'm telling you. Oh, dude, it is. I've. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can taste it, huh? Yes. Yeah. I do. No, it's so I've had it before. I remember being okay with it, not being mm-hmm. upset or mad at it. Um, but I've been drinking a lot more scotch since I tried that the first time. Okay. So uh, mm-hmm. now my palate's a little bit different. My stamp, what what I can take and what I can taste is better, right. and it is better than I remember. Mm-hmm. By far. So I was drinking Jameson for a long time because when I started skydiving, not that I would ever drink before I was twenty one, but um, <laughs> <laughs> when I was uh, at the drop Microphone. zone in Vermont, uh, yeah, when I was at the drop zone, and <laughs> sorry, man, it's just like I'm not used to these things being in my face like you guys are. Hey-o. Hey. Um, so when I started jumping, it was Jameson, the, one of the pilots, he loved Jameson. He was like, just drink it straight. I'm like, I can't drink it straight. Like put some Coke in it, put some ice in it, something. Um, and so I, for the longest time, for the past six, seven years, I've been drinking Jameson, you know, on the rocks all the time. And then I actually read a study one time that was saying that it's better on the rocks than it is straight. So maybe you should put some ice in that. A lot of, uh, a lot of whish- whiskey scotches are meant to be opened up with some water. Mm-hmm. Um, usually like a couple ice cubes, not yeah. a, a bunch. Um, I like trying things neat the first time and then trying them opened up the second time. You know what I've never, ever done? Ordered a drink on the rocks. Ooh. Sounds like such an adult, borderline <laughs> silly thing to say. <laughs> yes, sir, I'll have that on the rocks. What's well, even more fun is when you ask for like an ice sphere. Can I get that poured over an ice sphere? That's oh, a wow. thing. That's, that's, yes. Yeah, that's fancy. Oh yeah, because it, it melts Christ. slower because of the less. I'm a fancy on ginger, it. yo. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't even have to ask for the ice sphere if you're at the right place, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Oh man, uh, I don't. When we were at the uh, speakeasy, you had that the drinks we were having. Yeah, I remember. I had spheres in those. Mm-hmm. And John uh, Barry actually bought me some, like some ice cube sphere makers. So you fill it with water and then you put it. Yeah. In the have you awesome. seen the ones that look like the Death Star? Please tell me. Yes, you have. Of course, I have. 
Do you have the Death Star ones? I wish I did. Oh. No, I wish I could claim that, but I do not. Have y'all seen the hollow ones where they pour like a, a different, like a mixer or something inside of it? Oh, God. And you crack the ice ball and it makes itself a drink? It's badass. It's way too fancy for me. <laughs> That's too much work, man. Super yeah. lost. I poured yeah. this bottle into this glass and <laughs> right. I have a drink. Yeah. So Jameson we'll, was my go-to. Like, if I'm out drinking somewhere and I don't want to pay $80 for a single malt scotch, mm-hmm. I'll just get Jameson on the rocks. That's that's definitely my go-to. So when you started skydiving, what were you doing for work? Um, currently. Popping pimples? Back then, I was, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> just about. Uh, I was actually about to go to school in Rhode Island to be a linguist. Um, so how life has changed, right? Um, a cunning linguist? Yes, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> Um, and so I actually started as an EMT on a ski patrol up in Vermont, and I did that for two seasons, skydiving the summer. So, yeah. So what what sort of training does one uh, undergo to become an EMT? So I went to classes. I think it was every Wednesday nights, and it was like two or three hour courses. Don't worry, man. I'm gonna save your life. I'm gonna go to Wednesday night classes for a month. Now. Wednesday night. That's it. Night classes. <laughs> it's all good. I got this shit. I do see your femur protruding from your leg, but don't worry. Wednesday night was super informative. I'm. A, <laughs> yeah. I got this shit. I just got this like two Wednesdays ago. <laughs> we went over so, this. It's fine. I got. This. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. No, how, you're good. How how long? How long uh, do you study before so your EMT certification? Uh, it was, I think, like six months of classwork. And oh, then, okay. That's reasonable. Yeah, and then every Wednesday night, though. Um, <laughs> and then we uh, we took a course. We took three exams, I think it was. It was like the, the verbal test, the state test, and like the national test. And at the end of the day, I only got my state and my national test, but then I had to get like other... The linguist didn't pass the verbal test? Is that what you're telling me? Who would have thought? Shit, man. I wasn't speaking very clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I know what that's like. Uh, so you're an EMT for how long? Um, so I was an EMT up until 2015, um, and I let it lapse in Texas because I got my RN, so I just kind of let it go and didn't really want to work on an ambulance anymore. So, so this is when you're jumping at Spaceland, though, right, when the, this Correct. transition was happening? Yeah, so in 2000, I think it was a 10 or 11, I think, that winter maybe I came to Spaceland um, finally got like the reciprocity for my EMT and then started working on an ambulance part-time. So, and that, yeah, here in Texas. I, I got, I got to hear what's the worst ambulance story you've got. Worst ambulance story. Yeah. Uh, it's actually, uh, recorded on uh, life flight. They did like a two or three like episode series on life flight here in Houston. Mm-hmm. And I was doing one handed CPR on this lady cause I was trying to do something else and like trying to like do CPR on her. And, uh, like the story behind, I can't go into details for you know HIPAA violations and stuff like that, but it was a pretty gnarly, gnarly scene. But I'm sorry, I feel like I, I should give you more details, but I can't. <laughs> I think you almost got carried away and telling almost the details. <laughs> I was like, it's, it's right there. I can see it. Like I can see it all, but I just can't. I don't want to verbalize it. Oh man, how it, how difficult is that to get used to? I mean, how long's the adjustment time for you? Um. It comes goes, I would say. I mean, working as a in the pediatric ICU, you know, Ooh. you you see a lot of stuff, and you know, you see a lot of stuff, and then you're it's kids that you're dealing with, so you get a lot of that very emotional, very like drawn out stories. Um, it's tough, but you know, you just I feel like I'm one of those people, one of those nurses who wants to do that, so I should be doing that, you know, because a lot of nurses can't handle that. So why why don't I fill that gap? So, but most of your nursing is in the ICU, correct? The pediatric, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Heavy stuff. It is. Well, they're actually not that heavy. You can lift them with two hands. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Or one hand, but... <laughs> I meant emotionally heavy. Uh, this, is that... Do you guys use humor a lot to get through that? Absolutely. So I'm a Scott Ever, which is a very 
morbid at most times and then a nurse on top of that. So I have very morbid, dark humor and it is very, very well a coping mechanism for sure. I, uh, Brian Menard, we were just talking about him a little bit ago. Uh, first of all, uh, Brian Menard, talk about Nurse Hero Second Scrubs. Mm-hmm. Um, super huge shout out to Brian Menard. He just sent me a picture uh, of booze. I Are we still you playing the yes. you got a drink when someone says shout out game? Shout out. <laughs> I just said shout <laughs> out to him. Absolutely shout I it out to him. Son of a bitch, man. Hey, Waz, shout out to you for creating the shout out game. Shout out to Waz. <laughs> so, uh, I feel like we should do that in the background. Menard. Shout out to Waz. Oh my god! Oh, man. I gotta watch this episode. Apparently, I missed uh, <laughs> that's now they're now they're combining Comedy. episodes, we're blended, <laughs> we're right? Yeah. Um. Oh my god! Dos Equis, uh, a case and a half of Dos Equis, a case and a half of Corona, uh, two cases of Shiner, and at least two cases of Bud Light uh, is what Brian Menard is bringing to karaoke night this Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Skydive Spaceland, if the weather's crappy, we'll start singing earlier. We're going to have a full karaoke set up. We're going to have a 100-inch screen with UFC 223. The fights are going to be huge. Uh, the singing's probably going to be more violent than the fights, um, and they're going to be <laughs> fucking wrecks, bro. They're going to be wrecks. Nice. Texas out of tune right there. Uh, Texas out of tune. <laughs> um, we actually got a dude, Mitch Hansen. Is, am I getting that? Yeah, Mitch Hansen, Mitchell Hansen is bringing a keg. He just brewed fresh batch, so he's not going to swear by the taste of it. You don't know how that works. <laughs> But uh, there's going to be plenty of booze. There's going to be fights. There's going to be singing. <laughs> that makes it sound like fights yeah, will right. erupt <laughs> during karaoke. <laughs> it's no, quite no. possible. You never know. Fights on the screen only, please. So, uh, man. Thank you, Brian Menard. Yes. So, Brian Menard started skydiving about the same time. Not about at the same time as a gal named St- D, uh, Stone Street and, and mm. Bart. But D and Brian, I was walking in from the landing area with him one day. I said, man, of all the nursing shows out there that are the mo- re- most realistic, mm-hmm. of all the doctor shows, ER, whatever, what's the most realistic show out there? What did they say? What's your answer? Uh, I mean, man. Scott S. Baseline? No. E- no, e- okay. ER shows. <laughs> ER shows. Oh, I mean, um, it's it's tough to, because yeah. uh, some shows are really good, and then some shows, like as a nurse I watch, I'm like, man, like, do they really just do that? Like, Do they not have like a consultant that says, like, that doesn't look real? You all should probably fix that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember talking to a nurse like last week and she was watching uh, The Resident or something and she just watched something like it was, um, they said the patient was in like a systole and they were in PEA, which for some of you, you know. We're all lost. Right. So all y'all are just like, what What does that mean? So basically, you know, you get uh, pulseless electrical activity where you get a waveform on the EKG, which is a green line that you normally see, you know, that goes up and <laughs> Boop. down. Yeah. Boop. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then there's a systole, which is just a flat line, uh, which is most of the time artifact. Um, another, you know, nursing word. But uh, so they were calling it a systole. It was PEA or something along those lines. And we're all just like, oh, can't watch this show anymore. It's too unrealistic but like most people who don't know the difference would you know it's fine so their answer was scrubs right away oh i mean but scrubs (laughs) when it comes to the humor that you get to get to watch scrubs is definitely like on point and i watched that entire series like through and through in like a week i I watch it for sarah chalk that's all there is (laughs) to it dude it's uh sarah yes for sarah chalk yeah um so you moved before you moved here you were now a paramedic emt emt yeah correct What's the difference between a paramedic and an EMT? Uh, the amount of schooling that you go through and the list of uh, skills that you have available to you. Legal skills, I should say. Which one is more school? A paramedic. So hence, it's also more legal abilities. Correct. 
Okay. Uh, so you were an EMT. Mm-hmm. And you were at skydiving part-time at that point. What were you doing? So in Vermont, I was... Let's see. So I started skydiving, got a couple jumps in, and then I decided to go... Well, I didn't decide. I was kind of pushed into the ski patrol thing. So I did that for winter, did skydiving for a summer, and then went back to ski patrol and then back to skydiving. And then the second season of skydiving, I was like, I need to go somewhere where I can just do this all year round because that was like my thing that I wanted to do all the time instead of being an EMT. But come to find that it led me more in the direction of medical than not so that's weird so you end up moving here to spaceland mm-hmm. at this point you're a emt emt and an aff instructor already aff yep and strong tandem certified okay and strong mm-hmm. certified uh you're working at spaceland part-time correct uh full-time when i came down full-time here. you you came on at first full-time correct and I think you took a break from uh, EMT for a short time when you s- just settled in here for like six months or so. Yeah, I didn't. At that time, I was pretty poor, so I didn't want to pay the 50 bucks to get my Texas license. So I took a little time off from that, but it's all good. And then eventually you get back into it. Mm-hmm. Eventually you, you, you get back going uh, to recertification or testing. What did you do to get back to EMT? Uh, basically, I just sent in some paperwork and a nice check for 50 bucks or whatever it was at the time and you just gave, gave the man gave, his money gave the man his money he sent me a license and it was good for five years so i said good deal i'll, I'll take this so now you go back to part-time paramedic emt emt sorry you're good um at what point and, and i've i've kind of been through this history with you because we've been around each other enough but it's my vision's blurry my memory's blurry good. uh when what well, when was the switch to go from e- uh, EMT to nurse? What what turned that switch for you? Um, so I uh, went to <laughs> okay there. So I did like full time skydiving. I got a little just burnt out of it a little bit, I guess you could say. And then I went to full time EMT for a transport company, and then part time skydiving. And when I did the full time transport service, um, acting as an EMT but doing more medical transport, taking people from hospitals to nursing homes or uh, vice versa, or doing whatever that entailed, that job. Um, I saw what the nurses did, and it was actually a student that I had who was a pediatrician. And at the time, I was, um, like, just before I made that transition to full-time transport, um, I was telling him about how I wanted to go back to school to be a paramedic and do that paramedic thing, because that's what I liked, like, the, the trauma, the action, you know, the high intensity. You know, as a skydiver, that's all we want is high-intensity high epinephrine all the time, you know, that flight-or-flight response that you get. And he was like, no, dude, go to school, be a nurse. You get the same skill set, you get more money, and then later on you can transition to EMT. So I was like, that sounds like a good idea. So as I transitioned from full-time skydiver to full-time EMT, I saw what the nurses were doing. I started to like it more, started taking those guys, that guy's word for you know a little bit more than a grain of salt and kind of started working towards getting my nursing degree. So. It's interesting. That's the second time today I've, I've heard you talk about a story where somebody said something to you, gave you advice, just gave you a word, and an amount of time later, it settles in. An amount mm-hmm. of time, it becomes a truth to you. Absolutely. Um, man, it, it's... I, I just... We had a conversation earlier about just taking the value of what people say to you and taking mm-hmm. the value and listening. Even if it means nothing to you today, still take it away with you and see what lessons come from it. Um... <clears throat> At some point at Spaceland, we figure out that you're an EMT. We figure out that you're medically trained. And at Spaceland, we're going to, you know where I'm going with this, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, we still have a page that's Joe Getty to the landing area. Right. 
and a lot of people have no clue who Joe Getty even is. Right. And there's actually a lot of even of the newer staff who doesn't necessarily know what that page means, but mm-hmm. a lot of the more experienced staff does. Right. Um, I want to know what the first accident you actually reported to in the landing area was. Oh, man, I can't remember. I remember the first big accident, but I won't go into that. But um, it's funny you, you mentioned that because it, it was actually the reason that I got hired on to Spaceland because I was looking for that, like I said, full-time skydiving position coming from Vermont. It's like, I want to suck out of year-round. Like, I want to be at a place where I can do that. And I went out to California. I kind of did, like, this job interview, and I didn't really like the vibe of the drop zone. So I was like, I don't want to go there. So I was actually emailing Jason, um, the old manager, uh, back and forth. And he said, well, we need an EMT around the drop zone. Like, we'd love to have you. Um, so I came down, and that was, like, my job was, like, the resident EMT, right? Um, so I responded to all the calls. And I think one of the first incidents was, like, maybe, like, Microphone. a brained ankle <laughs> or you know something along those lines like someone hurt their wrist or their ankle or their leg and i just you know went out to the drop and went out to the field and um so eventually it started to come along where like people were like you know joe getty to the landing area or and it, i think it was like a longer page to begin with but it just ended up being shortened shortened joe getty laying an area and i would go to nursing school actually a couple years later and they would still have have it going on and in Dallas actually went there on my way up to Omaha in this past summer, and they were saying it up in Dallas too, uh, just out of habit. Because um, yeah, I'm know, sure Paula brought that. You know her. Paula, right? Yeah. So y'all, y'all know Paula, and uh, she was like, "Joe, get in the landing area. Uh, we need help in the landing area, or something along those lines." You know, just but it was so automatic for her to say, "Joe, get into the landing area," just because over the years, you know, two or three years of me being there, and that it was just natural for me to be there and be there for an incident. And, come out to the landing area. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure me, most people will put this together, but just in case, on the loudspeaker, we don't want to say, hey, someone just broke their leg in the <laughs> landing area because we have a you know a drop zone full of tandem students, first-time jumpers that we don't want to freak out. Injuries are a part of skydiving, especially learning to skydive newer jumpers, you know, a sprained ankle, whatever. You know, those things are all pretty common. But uh, so that's where Joe Getty to the landing, it's, it's code, right? It's code right. for someone's hurt code in the word. landing area. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I I think most I would agree most people know what it means, yeah. but uh, I'm sure I would see a few confused faces even among our staff members. Right, the origin of it. Oh, geez. Yeah, uh, well, I was just getting you to hand it, cha- choo choo, train it back to him. Oh, but okay. if you'd like to try it, it's a good scotch. I still got some whiskey. This left, is very so good. I'm just gonna um, pass this over here. So Joe Getty, the landing area, and like, like Nick said, we don't want to draw a bunch of attention out there. Right. And that kind of leads me to where we're going with this is. is what can we do in emergency response? And I want to look at this from a several viewpoint conversation. Okay. Um, a, from a medicals expert. You've, you've been a full-time skydiver. You're a full-time uh, healthcare professional, emergency practitioner, EMT, and nurse. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's a huge background for this kind of response from right. all, all angles. Um, also, uh, I, I want to look at it from the fun jumper point of view because a lot of fun jumpers don't know what they can do if they can do anything. Mm-hmm. I want to know what we can do as staff. Some drop zones have no real good execution plan. They just make it work the best they can, which is better than nothing. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of want to look at all of these things, man. Right. Um, so I guess I would start with the first uh, two things that you're ever going to need at a drop zone when it comes to providing medical care because most times it's fractures that you get, fractured arms, fractured legs, um, so two things that you can always have around cardboard and duct tape because you can make splints out of duct tape or uh, out of cardboard and then you can wrap it all up with duct tape. Um, and then, so going from that, um, it's good to know who is, you know, who has some medical background around the, r- the drop zone. And if nobody does, and if there's a situation where, you know, something's happened, it's best just to call 911. 
yeah, they probably don't want to pay for it or they can't pay for it or whatever, but it's best to get people the, uh, the attention that they need. But as far as it comes to responding to a, an incident or on the drop, am I speaking close enough to the mic? Yeah, I'll okay. just clear my throat. All right, You're doing good. great. All right. Um, so knowing who's in charge and setting that person in charge, um, I do remember an incident at the drop zone where there was two incidents, two uh, collisions, that, or one collision that happened between two jumpers. Um, and everyone looked to me for guidance on what to do. And I think that's a big thing is to find someone who knows what they're doing or somewhat of what they're doing and put them in command where they can direct people on what to do um, when it comes to, you know, like, hey, you go do this, you go do that. And making it very clear um, with like readback. So like if I tell you like, hey, you call 911, you say, okay, I'm going to go call 911. And then you call 911, make that call and then say, hey, I called them. Um, and having that clear um, contact between two people, that clear communication is very important. Um, and then providing care for that patient. You know, if no one's there to actually provide care, then the only thing that you can do is try and comfort that person to, as to what they're doing. I wouldn't tell you guys to actually do something because A, that would go out of my scope of practice as a nurse. Mm-hmm. And uh, B, I might be telling you the wrong thing. So I don't want to do that. I think one of the first things uh, that you might have mentioned I, or that, that people that in general you should have is know who medically trained is around. Mm-hmm. And on many DZs, there is somebody, whether it's a staff member or usually a fun jumper who's medically trained. Mm-hmm. Um, but not only know who they are, have a conversation with that person ahead of time. Where, like, when you came on the DZ, hey, Joe, if there's a situation, are you willing to help? Are you willing to respond? And you said, yes, I am. Mm -hmm. Um, Have that clear line of communication because there are some medical experts who do not want to get involved outside of their workplace. Absolutely. Um, There are some doctors who work in practices who their malpractice insurance is paid for by that company, and anything they do outside of their company uh, affects their job. So sometimes it's a sad legal binding. Mm -hmm. And um, for people like me who are EMTs, uh, nurses, doctors, you know, whatever they are, there is a law that is set in place, the Good Samaritan Law, but there's only so much that we can do within that law um, or within that, like, you know, that that clause of that law. So, like, providing CPR or, you know, basic medical needs that any good Samaritan would be able to provide is fine, but... You know, as a nurse or an EMT, like, don't provide care that you would think would be advanced and, you know, over into your education. So any layperson could do whatever care that you're doing, and that's that'd be okay. But besides that, you know, don't do that. So, I mean, as a regular jumper who doesn't have any education, I would say get a, you know, maybe get your CPR for sure. If there's an AED around the drop zone uh, or anywhere, you know, make sure you know where that is. Uh, so... I hear, I know what you just said, but mm-hmm. I automatically hear AAD on a drop. Right, <laughs> AAD. All jump cypresses, bro. Not an AAD. AED. Automatic. Uh, forget the words now. I can't use my, my English. It's a little broken. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's my um, line. So an AED. It's um, a mobile defibrillator. Correct. That's essentially. Look, yeah. Um, and there was talk about getting one around here, but it never happened. You know. There's so. one. There is one in Spaceland. Oh, good deal. I didn't yeah. know about it. Yeah, in the uh, green garage. Okay. In the storage unit above where all the medical supplies are kept. Ah. So if you're ever there, you need to know that. See, I mean, that's probably something I would identify, but also... There's a sign right outside the garage. It has the located in here. Oh, there you go. That's also a good thing is knowing where, if you do have a medical kit, like <clears throat> where that stuff is, because you don't want to be running like a chicken with your head cut off. Like, where's the, where's the medical bag, you know? Um, I learned a bunch from my CPR first aid class. Yeah. Luckily, my, my company does a lot of uh, work in industrial facilities. Mm-hmm. So they're really big on safety, and they paid for all my training for CPR first aid, and they kept reiterating like what you said is make sure there's a positive direction. You know, be the leader, mm-hmm. uh, get people away 
you know, and, and try to have a clear, concise direction right. on who's doing what. Yeah, make a leader, you know, make, you know, someone, you're doing this, you're doing that, and make it very clear and very obvious who's doing what, and like you said, you know, it'll lead in a positive direction, so. Do you have your CPR, any CPR training? Yeah, I've, I've had my CPR certification maybe two or three times, mm-hmm. but I honestly don't, <laughs> I don't recall any of it. I mean, I would be smart enough to apply pressure or do compressions or really, really simple stuff, but honestly, I don't, uh, like hearing you talk about picking a leader, have someone who's going to be in charge. I just don't have the confidence of you know what my skill set is mm-hmm. to to be that guy. So maybe I'm going to stand around and hope that somebody tells me to do something, including hey, get the fuck out of here, we got mm-hmm. it. But uh, that's you know through the the little bit of training that I have, I definitely wouldn't be comfortable trying to trying to take charge and l- unless I'm the only one there. And then I guess you're just going to do whatever whatever you think to do. But uh, I could definitely know more. Yeah. I've, I've never taken CPR training and straight up, I am a little itty bitty baby when it comes to blood. <laughs> like if any TV show or movie shows somebody getting cut open with a scalpel or blood, like I just look away and Val tells me when I can look again. Uh, <laughs> my own blood, dude. Like I get a cut, I'll like peel her open and uh, make the little cut talk at me. Uh, like I'm so good with my own like damage. But dude, I see his, no, I, I'm going to pass out. See, it's funny because like I'm the opposite. Like if I... If I have a cut on myself, I'd be like, oh, man, can't look at that. Don't look, don't look, don't look. But if it's on somebody else, like, I'm like, yeah, it's fine. That's whatever. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. It's just like I'm afraid of heights. But when it comes to skydiving, like, it's fine, you know. I'm not Some afraid of heights. I'm afraid of landing. Fair enough. I'm not even afraid of falling because falling's pretty fun. Yeah, falling's good. That's the good time. I like falling. <laughs> Controlled falling. Let's say that. Man, it, that's the good stuff. Um, do, do many people have to go through that in medical school, kind of getting adjusted to seeing blood and guts? Um, I, well, like for me, when I started, I was not okay with blood and guts. Like when I got my when I started the EMT like tract of that, like going to Wednesday night classes and whatnot. Did anybody pass out? <laughs> uh, well, there's a different reason for that. Keep going. Okay, but uh, so basically, we, you know, I was not okay with it, and then at, like over time, you know, you, uh, it's different when you're like seeing it in a book and you're not like okay with it, and then when you see it on a on when I was on ski patrol, like on the hill, we would say you'd see the, this broken leg. My first call was actually a broken leg, a, a broken tibula plateau. So I was like right in the knee, basically, and uh, it wasn't very gory. But then I saw my first femur and the 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 femur was sticking out this way and then the rest of it was going this way. So it was like, like protruding, sticking out like it was or pressing against the skin. You know, <laughs> you couldn't see the bone itself, but you could see where the bone was based on where the skin was. Um, and in the moment of like, oh. I have to help this person. <laughs> it didn't like phase me. Yeah. I can, all, I can know? see that when, when, you know, you've had, you have some level of training, <laughs> you're a professional, you're, you're approaching the situation. Like you're the one in charge that right. you're going to fix it. Yeah. Your mind probably goes into a different way of operating Absolutely. that you're not, Oh, that's gross! Like oh, pro- that that part's probably turned off because you're in go mode, right? And that's what I can understand. And for for me, uh, dealing with blood has never been an issue, mm-hmm. but guts and bones, uh, man, that's that's a whole new world. For I mean, me. I've seen a lot of blood, less guts and bones, so I think you'd be good. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Co- hey, can you put your guts away? Because I'm not okay <laughs> with that. Those, I can I can clean your blood back. up, but that yeah, <laughs> that you're gonna have to do that. Oh yeah. I've, I found an emergency response. I have a very good and active and easy role. Mm-hmm. And mine is has been that of an organizer. It's something mm-hmm. that I naturally do anyways. Right. And one of the things, Nick, you said is is you don't know if you could be the guy in charge. The guy in charge doesn't have to be the guy touching blood and knowing what he's doing. He just can be the guy who recognizes, hey, Nick. Or I'm sorry, you're, you're not Nick. Nick's over there. Yeah, he's over there. Hey, Joe, you got this? Sweet. You tell me what you need. 
I'll get you. Mm-hmm. I, I've got it covered. And getting people. And one of the first things I see in emergent re- emergency response is one dude hurt doesn't need 12 people. Right. It, it, it's like, how do you, have you ever been on, on a site hurt, helping a jumper or something and had just a crowd that made it hard for you to work? Well, absolutely. I was uh, in Omaha, I think it was. Well, outside of Omaha, at the drops on there when I was traveling there. And some guy broke his like lower leg and maybe his ankle. I don't know. Who knows? And uh, there, oh, I can hear myself way better now. That's crazy. <laughs> so he he broke his ankle at some point or his leg or something like that. And uh, everyone was like surrounding him. I'm like, hey, like I'm a nurse. And they were all talking and stuff like that. And they weren't listening to me. Like they're like, no, we're good, we're good, we're good. I'm like, hey, I'm an EMT. I'm a nurse. Get out of my way because you guys are doing it wrong. And they're like, oh okay, yeah, fine, you got this. And, like, five people just dispersed. <laughs> um, so to make that role clear, like, hey, like, I actually know more or less, you know, what I'm doing. You know, I, I have a, you know, I can do this. I can get, you know, whatever needs to be involved, involved. Um, that takes a, you know, a priority, and people recognize that if you, you know, declare it loud enough. I've heard a few times on a drop zone, a, a, a newer jumper who's a nurse or an EMT or a paramedic, who is afraid to speak out because let's be real drop zones are full of a lot of very type a take charge personalities Mm -hmm. and on a drop zone those new jumpers get afraid to speak out and i don't care what drop zone you're on if you have that background and you have that true training a represent the truth most of you do every Mm -hmm. now and then we hear somebody who's full of shit um declare it absolutely let us know because I was running out to a site of, of a hard landing. Not said and done, everything was okay. But we thought the dude was going to have some compound stuff, mm-hmm. some blood, some pokey things. And I'm running out there with a gal named Debbie G. Don't think you know her. Mm. And I'm yelling, Debbie, I can't, I can't stand blood. I can't, no, the fuck this shit. <laughs> Just tell me where to grab. I'll look long enough to grab it, and then I'm looking away. Right. You, I can deal with that. And, Nick, I, what you said earlier, I think in the heat of the moment, when science becomes what it is, when, like, I need to help this person, I could disengage from the it's blood, but just just describing the shit gives me the heebie-jeebies. Absolutely. Um, shit. Where were you going with that? My God, runaway train, man. Yeah. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. Runaway train never comes. So karaoke, karaoke night. night. <laughs> Texas out of tune, right there. Oh my so. God. Um. So for me, the, the easiest thing to respond is, is to get control of the situation, and one of the first things is A, declare who you are. Tell mm-hmm. people what you have. We're going to get out of the way. I'm the first person. That's where Debbie was going. I'm the first person when you say, I know what I'm doing. I'm medically trained. I'm going to say, thank God. Right. I, I'm, I'm not upset at all. I'm thankful that you're there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then somebody control the crowd. Stop people from coming out. One of the first things I, I used to do when I was a, a, an instructor and newer to the sport is I would kind of stand out where the spectator area is and only let people go out who had a reason to be there. Right. Hey, that is my family member. This is how I'm related. Hey, I'm a doctor. Can I help? Um, mm-hmm. Drop zone staff. Um, something that it, it might seem weird, something that might seem odd, is if the accident happens on the drop zone, you need to do this. If it happens off the drop zone, it's going to be super helpful. Send a car out to the road. Send a four-wheeler out to the road, a golf cart out to the driveway, or a meeting point so you can show them the easiest and quickest way to get to the DZ. Mm-hmm. Um, we commonly put a staff member on the four-wheeler. Yeah. Say, meet the, f- meet, meet the uh, ambulance, drive them out here, escort them out here so they know the quickest way to go. Right. Um, what, what about the medical bag the DZ has? I think you looked at it when you first showed up. Oh, absolutely. I may have uh, suggested some things to put in there and, you know, some things to take out. Um, but, it, I mean, when, like I said, when it comes down to it, the few things that you need, ice packs are good. 
you know, but it drop zones are drop zones, so you don't always have ice there. <laughs> um, gauze, something to wrap stuff up with, like the, uh, you know, that, like tan, you know, stretchy stuff that you can wrap over, like sprained ankles and stuff. That's good. Like, like an ace bandage. Ace bandage, yeah. Okay. Yeah, losing my words here. Um, so ice, ace bandages, duct tape. Cardboard. And cardboard. I'm serious. Like duct tape and cardboard has gotten me so far. People are like, oh my god, like we don't have a put a like we don't have a splint to put this patient. In. I'm like, no, just like get some cardboard, get some duct tape, we're good to go. I saw Brian make a splint out of a Bud Light case. It, and duct you know tape. what? <laughs> it works, man. Because you, you fold that stuff up, it gets really hard, and it's like eh, just wrap this around that. You know, that's all you need. Ben Nelson and I were at a scene of an accident together, mm-hmm. and same thing. He, I, I had never seen the cardboard and duct tape trick, and I'm like. Oh, that's super easy. That's smart. Yeah. That's so simple. It's too smart. It was like, holy shit. That right. makes sense. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you mentioned, though, is when you first saw our medical kit, you said, hey, some of these things should be added. Some of these things should be taken away. And whether it's time expiration, whether it was not necessary, whatever the case is, mm-hmm. we regularly have medical experts, especially emergency response experts, look at our med kit. And if you're at a DZ, if you're running a DZ, you're a safety officer, don't trust that your drop zone's done this. Mm-hmm. Actually hit up the DZO, hit up the manager and say, yo, guys, have you checked this out lately? I have a jumper here who has this background who's willing to look at our bag. Right. And, and I, every time we get a fun jumper who has a high level of medical training, one of us gets them in to look at the bag and make sure they update it. So mm-hmm. don't, don't assume that medical kit you have at your drop zone is good to go. Right. I mean, most of the time it's just a little bit of gauze here, maybe some bacitracin, a Band-Aid or two, you know, little things like that. Which, Vicodins. you know, is... You know, most of the time you need that for kids around the drop zone and whatnot. But, uh, you know, make sh- you know, know what you have um, and be resourceful to what it is. So duct tape and cardboard all the time. Um, emergency response, it, it leads me to another place, Nick. Have you ever stood on the back patio when somebody gets hurt? Yeah, I've seen, uh, I mean, I've seen a few things happen and then rushed out. You know, sometimes you hear the, oh, oh my God, what just happened? <laughs> Or you hear the the page, you hear Joe Getty at the landing area, and you might wander out and see see how it all goes down. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Joe, I don't think you've been on the back patio often when there's an accident at Spaceland because you're normally in the field. Yeah, usually I'm either in the field, packing, or I'm in the air. I've actually been called like from the radio one time, like, "Hey, you're going to do this tandem video, but as soon as the tandem opens, just go to this area, and we'll get your video for you at the bottom." So I've responded to a couple of those. Um, and sometimes I've even actually been packing and hear, heard a Joe Getty to the landing area. And by the time I've walked out, there are too many people out there. So I've actually, you know, I've seen like people like, okay, like another person is, knows what they're doing. Menard's got it. Right. Or, you know, some other people, whoever, um, and they're like walking out already or they're already there. And I'm like, okay, like they got this. I don't need to over flood the scene. Like, you know, I'm a little bit of a, you know, emergency nerd. So I like to go out there and see stuff. But at the same time, like, as bad as that sounds, hashtag dark humor right there. Nurse humor. Um, like I don't need to be out there, you know? So like you said earlier, like you don't need 12 people around one person doing, you know, nothing you need, you know, right people doing the right thing around that one person. So it could be one person, could be two person, could be three person, but definitely I've never seen more than five people needed for one person. You don't need that many, man. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, let's just pretend that there aren't any experienced medical professionals around and someone with no experience rolls up. Mm -hmm. Well, how about a list of things to not do? Uh, do things that you're like, oh, well, I saw this on TV once. That's a good <laughs> thing not to do. Um, there's something to do, call 911 and explain the situation um, in the most uh, objective way that you can. Be like, you know, this person fell from like X distance, you know, 15, 10, 5 feet, you know, whatever. Because that gives the people that you're calling a better description of what's going on. 
Um, also, one thing you shouldn't do is tell them that they're skydiving. Um, because then they get this whole thing of like, oh, they fell from 3,000 feet or oh, they fell from 12,000 feet. Like they don't understand that like we do, you know? So um, tell them like, hey, they, they fell from, like if let's say they landed wrong, like say, hey, like they fell from like 10 feet and they hurt their ankle and it looks like it's broken, you know, something like that. But um, let's also say a big I, thing is like ibuprofen and Advil and uh, aspirin. People give that a lot. Um, if they do end up going to the hospital, which would, they would need those medications for probably shouldn't give them to them while they're actually on the drop zone. Ice works a lot better. So I am imagining a situation where I walk up to someone who's unconscious. Mm-hmm. So okay. collision, what, yeah. whatever it is that I'm, I've walked up on someone who is on the ground in what looks like an uncomfortable position and they're not awake. Mm-hmm. Now what do I do? Okay. So that's where that CPR training comes in handy. You know, check for a pulse. Are they breathing? Um, so like the, the few things that we do, um, mainly when we like walk into a situation, a room or whatever, ABCs, it's pretty easy, right? Airway, do they have an airway, you know, which you guys won't necessarily need to know, but basically are they breathing? You know, is their chest going up and down? Are they moving air? Um, and then do they have circulation? So you're checking their pulses and whatnot. Um, so the basic premise of that is air goes in and out, blood goes round and round. Okay. So if they're not breathing, something's wrong. If their blood's not moving around, you can't feel their pulse in their carotid artery or their radial artery, you know, something like that. That should be definitely be a concern. Um, and then you would have to find someone who knows CPR to start that, that progression to go from there. Does that make sense? But someone with no training, the best thing you can do is just try and get someone that knows. I mean, you know, if you know, your, if you know CPR, you know, if you think it's appropriate at the time, you know, which is, it's hard to say like, yeah, like X, Y, and Z, like you should go do that. Cause it's, you know, it's all situational, but I would say, you know, if you think that they need it, start CPR. If they don't need it, they'll wake up and they'll tell you. Um, I've done CPR <laughs> on someone where they, they, they're like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? It's like, okay, I don't need to do that. You know? Just trying to sneak get in a few kisses. It's no big deal. <laughs> Have you gone to give somebody mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and they, or is that luckily, chest compression? Luckily not. Usually, like, when you pound on someone's chest and they're still with it, they'll, they'll let you know because it does not feel good. Because you just hit them. It does, it's worse than that. Oh. It's, oh, man. Yeah. yeah oh, it doesn't feel good. I, uh, I've watched a few training videos of what a proper chest compression is, mm-hmm. and you're basically trying to break my ribs. Well, essentially, when you're in a... Doesn't that like happen a, pretty a often? ...through CPR course, they tell you, if you're not breaking ribs, you're not doing it right. And don't quote me on that. That's not like a professional like study <laughs> okay. thing. Like, it's not like I walk up on DJ. He's laying in the field. Might be taking a nap. Might need to break his ribs. I'm <laughs> not sure. Need to break his ribs. So, I mean, but, that, you know, it's just like the general like funny joke that we tell, you know, if you're not breaking ribs, you're not doing it right. Um, certain age groups is different, but you know, for the most part, um, you should be pressing hard enough to where you might hear something crack and you know, that may be a bone. It may just be some cartilage, but, um, sometimes you got to do that. So a broken bones better, better than a dead heart or dead brain, dead brain. Yeah. You can fix the heart brain. I, eh. Yeah. I'm proof you can't <laughs> fix that motherfucker. <laughs> it's broken now, right. man. My, my brain works really good in skydiving information. Mm-hmm. And other than that, I'm lost. Man. Yeah. Like what happened? That's red. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's black, but you know, whatever. Son of a bitch. Yeah. I'm lost, man. <laughs> um, the the patio conversation kind of goes to that idea of everybody starts staring at the dude who landed and got hurt, and and I know we can't help ourselves, and I know we can't help but watch that. And I'm gonna say if if we can help it, you know, kind of um, stop making a spectacle. And the biggest reason is not make a spectacle is if there's any family or friends watching, you're just worsening, you're just heightening their anxiety. Mm-hmm. 
Make it a little bit more casual. Still be concerned. Still look over there. Don't be so disconnected that we don't look like we care as a society. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I've been standing there and jumpers start talking shit about what just happened. Oh, my God. Do you think he's going to live? Right. Um, you know, oh, you think he's dead? There's questions and conversations or uh, that go on like that. And don't assume or say the worst because those family members are sitting there watching or those new jumpers who are already petrified of skydiving are standing there or watching mm-hmm. or those tandems who are up in two loads or, or listening and have that little bit more controlled environment because, A, um, you're scaring them. Right. And, B, we've all seen it. Dude skips off the ground. You know he's getting life lighted out and he mm-hmm. walks away. Right. So you just don't know what you have in front of you. Well, and I always, like, uh, I've seen that, you know, where people skip off the ground. I've done it. It sucks. It hurts. Um, but, you know, there's such a thing as too early, you know, when you, people have a conversation like, oh, is that too soon? Like, yeah, it's probably too soon. At that point, for sure, you know, like, wait till they're at least, like, gone from the drop zone or, you know, whatever situation that they're in to say, like, start talking shit or whatever, you know. But, uh if I go in yeah. on the drop zone, I expect you guys to be making jokes before anybody's even shown up. Just He's so going to be two inches shorter. He will <laughs> yeah, not be a legal midget. Don't worry. I'll be there in your face telling you jokes please, as it happens. Please. <laughs> um, but like uh, like you said, like you know, when people skip off the ground, like that's a serious business. And you know, when I did it, I probably should have maybe gone to the hospital because I still have some pain in my neck from that. So anyways... Um, but I've, you know, I've heard uh, one of my, the first stories that I heard on the drop zone was actually about one of my skydiving, one of my first skydiving instructors who had actually um, bounced a little bit and ended up walking from where he bounced to the packing area, which is maybe 50 feet. And then he like, all of a sudden was like, oh, I need to sit down and ended up that they took him in the car to the hospital, which was at least a 40 minute drive um, to get him to figure out that he had broken his back. Um, so when it comes down to that, like, you know, I always, I try not to, but assume the worst you know if you've hit the ground real hard even the pond you know water when you hit it hard enough it doesn't move you know it just stays in the in the shape that it is so assume the worst and you know if you think that like uh we look at it as like the mechanism mechanism of injury if you've fallen from 10 15 feet or if you've slammed to the ground or the water at 80 miles 90 miles 100 miles an hour assume that something is broken um and that assumption has gotten me pretty far when it comes to assuming that something has happened so, like, I've had a couple jumpers slam into the pond a few times, and they're like, no, I feel good. I'm like, no, you really don't. You're going to feel bad in, you know, 20 minutes, an hour. And uh, so, yeah. So, if someone bounces, I guess, you just assume the worst. You said you said it a second ago. Mm-hmm. I, I had a similar situation where I hit the ground. I uh, compressed my spine pretty hard. Uh, I refused medical treatment. Uh, a guy actually on Degueo named Bob, uh, we call him Doc Bob. Mm-hmm. I met him first at the Freefall Convention, and that's where I, I, I hit some turbulence in a term. Canopy mm-hmm. collapses a little bit, was jumping in stupid conditions, doing stupid shit. Instead of trying to dig out on my toggles, I dug out on my rears. If you hear people say, trust your rears, mother, man, it's a fucking joke. It's a joke. It's a, <laughs> it's a fucking <laughs> joke. I mean, it's a lie, or it's people being sarcastic. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, in in canopy coaching, when I'm doing high-performance shit, when I'm introducing people to speed, I actually have to tell them, trust your rears is a joke. There's a lot of new jumpers who think that shit is real. Oh, that's unfortunate. Um, (laughs) And people who trust their rears to get out of a corner have crapped into the corner. I've been that dude. That's how I've done it. So if you're a new jumper and you hear us saying, trust your rears, we're we're really letting Darwin live up because if you believe us, you're dumb enough to be out of the (laughs) gene pool. Um, I don't promote that statement, but that's kind of what it's come yeah, down to. Definitely have a little critical thinking skills when you're when it comes to skydiving because a we're sarcastic and b we'll lie to you all the time. Yeah. 
Maybe. So that's how I get the cool T-shirt, though. Yeah, <laughs> Do you, I they don't make them anymore, actually. So did, did you see? There was a big controversy on the uh, on Soaparf. Oh yeah, maybe this is a month ago. Okay. Did you see hear this? I at am all? not a member. Okay, so this kid, God, I'm probably just stirring up some shit right now, but <laughs> this kid. Uh, so for anyone that doesn't know, this is a group that it's a school of fast progression and downsizing and radical flying. Is yep. that, am I saying Sounds that right? About right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's a it's a group that exists solely for the purpose of making fun of people who eat shit, oh, and learning so to fly funny. a small parachute. And some sometimes it's a sometimes it's a big parachute. Any, anyone who gets hurt flying a parachute, you post a video, everyone makes fun of you. That's just what the group is. And no matter what, like no matter how small of a parachute you're flying, they're gonna say it's a fucking tandem, a tandem wing. Yeah. And, yeah. and no matter how, you know, how no matter how right you do, you fucked up. And everyone makes fun of whatever. So homeboy gets on, and he says, uh, "Oh, so the the reward is if you have footage, you pound in, you break something, you lose a shoe, yada yada yada, you get a T-shirt." So this kid makes a post like. Uh, that there are all these stories about his incident, and he deserves a T-shirt. And so the the first line to this is always video, or it didn't happen, which is super common. That's a skydiving line, no matter yeah, what it is, right? Absolutely. So that's one of the rules of getting a T-shirt is you gotta have you gotta post the video so everyone can have at it. But this kid's response is "fuck you." Uh, read the stories. Google, Google my name. Google my name, and you'll find the news stories about it. So what had happened is he. Uh, Claimed that they were jumping in questionable conditions, dust devil collapses canopy. He's doing, he's, he's flying. This is a tandem canopy. Tandem student passes away, and uh, he's talking about the story. Give me, a, give me a t shirt. And so naturally, everyone starts talking shit on him because that's what the whole group exists for. And are those crickets, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and uh, d- I, I I honestly spent an hour reading this thread. I don't know if it's still up or not, but uh, if you guys want to go read some very serious, keep telling me the story. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> okay, keep, well, I'm go. committed. To okay, this actually, now. I'm okay, so he says, "Fuck you, give me a T-shirt." Someone says, "You don't even have video." Someone else says, "You killed your passenger, and now you're trying to get a T-shirt out of it." But I guess the the kid ended up sounding like a really big shithead because he tried to sue the drop zone after this, saying that they made him jump in questionable conditions mm. and it was his decision to jump yeah he 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 knew what the landing area looked like he had a lot of jumps there before and then uh this guy's a, <laughs> this guy's a ti this guy's a tandem instructor still i think still goes back and jumps at this drop zone even after having this lawsuit mm. and uh some of the best <laughs> the best line so it's just filled with super super shitty replies which is exactly <laughs> what you'd respect or expect and this kid's like But he says, I can't believe the amount of hate that's come out of this group. And it's like, dude, have you fucking read any of this shit that's posted up here? Do you know what this page is? Especially when you come demanding a shirt. But the best, so the the joke with everybody's canopy is you're flying a fucking tandem canopy. It's huge, right? Even if you're flying a 60 square foot parachute, that's what somebody says. (laughs) And someone says, I can't believe we haven't addressed the fact that he was flying an actual tandem (laughs) canopy. And I lost my mind. I thought that was the funniest shit that's ever happened. Oh, my God. But... I missed that somehow. But that's oh my awesome. god! Tommy texts me. Tommy Miller sends me a text. He's like, "Yo, have you been on so Dwarf today? There's some shit going down." <laughs> and I went and looked in the. There was so much drama that the kid had erased the original oh. post. And the, but of course, so many people had screenshotted it because yeah. it was so hilariously shitty. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so there. 
there was a new thread with a bunch of screenshots by the time I had I had seen it, even the, though the original one had been erased. Thoroughly entertaining. Yeah, one of the funnier uh, funnier skit. How did we even get started on this? Well, I, I mean, I guess I can take trusting your rears. That's how we got. Oh started. yeah, oh, always so, trust yeah. your rears. <laughs> but yeah, that's where trust your rears got really popularizes <laughs> yeah. in this group. But it did, man. Um, Go to your toggles. He'll save you. Yeah, the Sopadarf, uh, dude. I I've avoided that group because of this. I just I can't take some of the. Like, I I will fuck up just to make this group. Just for my 15 minutes of fame, I'm going, mm. man, people I do stupid shit. I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know if anyone's that dumb. I don't ever want to intentionally be on that page. Dude, there That's are people not, who not are fucking snorting condoms, eating Tide Pods to be on <laughs> Facebook. Wait, y'all haven't done that yeah, yet? Yeah, but you really think <laughs> someone would that. break their legs to get a t-shirt they wouldn't, from the internet? They wouldn't break their legs to get a t-shirt, but they're going to be like, I don't care if I'm going to go big. Worst case scenario, I get a t-shirt from Sopadarf. But, man, I'm better than that. I mean, those people, man, you got to get them out of the world somehow. Oh, so I just I just re-liked <laughs> Sopadarf Page because Dude, of this guy. Super entertaining. Oh, are you just on there? That's awesome. Yeah, um, so I, I, I trusted my rears. I mm-hmm. compressed my spine. I never went to the hospital. Finds out I, I fractured my spine. I broke my back. Mm-hmm. I have some vertebrae that are fused together that have some issues now. Um, if I would have went to the hospital and the doctor, I would have been better off than I am today. Um, you said it. Uh, you, you had a neck issue. You had a bad landing. You should went to the doctor. You encouraged. If you have an injury, assume it's worse. Go get checked out. The money is worth your life, even if even if you don't have insurance. There's ways things get worked out in the mm-hmm. end. Absolutely. I mean, I've seen people, you know, present. Um, you know, we say present their injury with what looks like a broken ankle or broken leg, and I always say to them, like, Do you think it's broken? I'm like, well, honestly, yeah, it looks broke as fuck. But I'm not going <laughs> to say that. A. God, please tell me you've said that to someone in the ICU. Some little child. Mm. Some six-year-old comes in, fell out of a tree. Yo, homie, that shit's broke as fuck. Broke as fuck. Uh, as long as the parents aren't around, Your most likely. Um, but I mean, like, no, like, I always say, like, I'm not an x-ray machine. Like, I can't see what's going on there. Like, people have asked me when they hurt their back or whatever, you know, you know, some sort of, like, they land on their ass and their back hurts. I'm like, well, you know, it may be nothing, but, you know, you may have a broken back. And... I can't tell you that because I'm an X-ray machine. Like I can't see what's going inside, going on inside of you. So you might as well just go get it checked out. And you know, at the end of the day, yeah, it may cost you seventy five hundred, three hundred, four hundred dollars dollars, but you know, is it worth it to not know and have a broken back, or to know and have a broken back and get it treated? You know, you're dude at forty four. I'm I'm doing all right, man. I'm not mm-hmm. in horrible condition, but I can feel the injuries I neglected. I right. can feel the hospitals I didn't go to. Mm-hmm. So get that shit checked out. Absolutely, it, it is 100% worth it. Well, and I, I think um, going back to the whole Sopodorf thing, you know, you, you have all these injuries that happen and whatnot. Uh, it comes down to preventing what's going to happen. You know, um, obviously we can't predict when we're going, to, when our camp is going to react to certain winds or weather or whatever. But, you know, making the smart choice, having your head on a swivel, making sure that you know how your canopy works. You know, I see a lot of people get new canopies and, Downsize, you know, get a smaller canopy, more aggressive canopy, and they don't learn their canopy before they start doing things that they were doing on their previous canopy. And I mean, I've been there too. I've been that guy who downsized and did stupid stuff in their new canopy, and you know, regretted it later with my neck. You know, I went from a katana or a stiletto to a katana, and you know, you can just imagine how bad of an idea that was. You know, going from a canopy that comes out real quick to a canopy that just keeps going, keeps going. I don't think it's a bad idea. I think the approach you take. When you make that transition. Well, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, but, you know, 
knowing what you're capable of and being humble with yourself and knowing what you can do and knowing what your canopy can do, what it does, what it's intended to do. Um, and also, you know, in free fall, it's not just canopy flying. It's, you know, walking back to the DZ or being in free fall, you know, knowing what everyone's capable of. Like I saw a bunch of people recently at a drop zone where, you know, they should have been doing a two way, but they were doing a five way. And that's a huge difference, even from like a two way to three way to five, four or five way. Uh, being aware of what what the skill levels are and stuff like that, um, you know, knowing what you're getting into, because you know, skydiving itself is a whole inherent risk. You know, you're intentionally jumping out of a plane to land on the ground. There's a huge amount of error that can happen all the way around that. You know, so preparing yourself for that mentally and seeing what can happen. Um, I always like to be in the train of thought of, you know, at the end of like if I try and make a decision, if I'm, you know, going one way or another, it's like well, this way will lead me that way, that way will lead me this way. Um, at the end of it, what could happen? And, you know, where will that lead me? And will I regret that decision at the end? And, you know, it's not always a, the perfect way to live, but, you know, preventing something that can happen, thinking about it a little bit beforehand. You know what I mean? You mean planning should be part of skydiving? Is no, that what you're no way. Oh, man. So, I mean, but a lot of people don't think that way, you know? Um, A lot of people are just like, yeah, let's do this big jump and have fun and it'll be great. But they don't think about, you know. Making wise choices? Yeah, it's it's something we hear repeatedly throughout uh, a lot of our guests, and, and I, I will preach the soapbox every day of it. A lot of times when you hear senior skydivers and particularly staff advising against what you're doing, first of all, as staff, have good delivery. Explain to people why and explain politely they shouldn't do it. Don't tell them they can't do it. Don't tell them they're a dumbass. Don't yell at them. Talk to them like they're fucking grown-ass adults. Don't treat them like children because right. most skydivers are legally grown-ass adults. Um, Back to our first conversation. <laughs> we don't act like them. We don't act like them, but we, we, we are grown-ass adults. And give them the benefit of the doubt and speak to them that way. But when you hear experienced jumpers, new jumpers talking to you, whether they have good delivery or not, even if they have shitty delivery, the reason they're telling you this stuff is they've either learned the hard way themselves or they've watched their friends get hurt and learn the hard mm-hmm. way themselves. Take your time. Don't be the judge of your own skill set. Right. You know, one of the things that I can appreciate about Nick is Nick is not afraid to tell me what he thinks sometimes. If he feels a certain way, if I'm being needy as our friendship goes along, he's not afraid to be like, yo, bro, you need to back off right now. Um, not necessarily, I think, that direct conversation, but <laughs> I understand when it's not a good time to hang out with Nick, and I appreciate that of him. Mm-hmm. Um, listen to your friends and let them tell you what's going on. Right. Um, I mean, like, if you don't understand what they're saying, then if they're saying, like, hey, don't do this. Don't take it as like a, a personal negative, like it's a personal stab at you. Understand why they're trying to say it to you, you know, and say so like, hey, maybe you shouldn't jump that new camp here. Maybe, hey, maybe you shouldn't do that jump. It's most likely 99 or 95% of the time not personal and not like, hey, like, I don't think you're ready for that in terms of like a personal thing. But it's more of like, maybe you're not actually ready for that, you yeah. know. Um, and they have a reason behind, like you're trying to say, like there's a reason behind what they're trying to say and try to explore that instead of being a negative Nancy and saying like, oh, they're just being mean to me, you know? The approach to this on both sides for me is the same answer. If you're a senior guy, if you're a veteran, if you're telling somebody something, uh, tell them in this process. If you're a new guy and you're told you shouldn't or you can't do this, then approach it in the same attitude, and the attitude is simple. 
hey, Joe, you're not ready to do this, but if you want to do that, here's the steps you need to do to get there. If a dude with 30 jumps tells me he wants to learn to swoop and he wants to be like Nick Lott, go out there and throw out a lazy boy and then at the end put both toggles behind his back and fist pump and a switchback, dude. And I see the fist pumps. That's that's all for you. Dude, respect. (laughs) (laughs) I started. I, (laughs) sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. Um, (laughs) If they say they want to do that, they want to be there. Then I'm in. I'm sold. But I'm going to tell them, this is what you need to do to get there. Um, as the new jumper, the experienced jumper, don't tell them they can't do it. Tell them what they knew. Tell, tell them how to get there, even if it's at the most fundamental stages, and explain what's going on. You're going to do this to make this better. I teach mm-hmm. new jumpers, break landings before you learn to swoop. We've all been low. We've all had to stab out and breaks. We've all had to finish a turn and breaks. We do break landings more than most jumpers know, but your break landing, Nick, is fucking fast compared to their full flight. So learning break landings is super important to that process. Um, experience or new jumpers, if somebody says, no, Joe, you can't do that, say, okay, cool, I can't do that. What steps do you recommend I take to get there? Mm-hmm. Ask that legitimate question because I'm a little less grumpy when I approach new jumpers today than I was when Nick and I first met. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, dude, there's no doubt. I, I will own every bit of it. I was a little bit grumpier in my presentation. It was then. fine. Uh, I, I, I would have said the same thing to me now with my level of experience. But I do said. hope you agree that I'm less grumpy because I really do work on that. Yeah, I think <laughs> to me it really seemed like it exacerbated your unhappiness that I wasn't affected by it. That you were like, you were spiraling, and I was like, mm, nope, wasn't. Did some aggressive turns, maybe, not a spiral. <laughs> and, he, and you were like, well, whatever you were doing, you shouldn't have been doing it. And I was like, yeah, that might be true. Could be true. Yeah. But I don't <laughs> could be wrong. But, well, I mean. but when I was so calm about it, it was like I just sensed the frustration of like, like usually the interaction goes like the person either gets defensive or... They care. That's what I take it as a lack of caring. <laughs> that's what it was. I, I don't know if it wasn't that I didn't care. I just wasn't ready to be upset about it. And that's the thing that I've learned to understand is what, what appears to me a lack, as of a lack of care by you and your response, I've come to realize is just a lack of emotional response. And Joe, we talked about it earlier. Things have been said to you in the past mm-hmm. that mean something today. Absolutely. So I, for me, that's where I've grown. And, and I say I'm less grumpy is when somebody doesn't respond, I'm like, well, it either sticks or it doesn't. Mm. I'm going to give it time. I can't, I can't say something today and expect it to make a difference. How, how do you feel about someone who knows the rules, has the experience that they should be following the rules, and chooses to not follow the rule? I feel like that's when you can get angry. Um, Maybe. I, in the past, I could get angry. At this point, I could fucking care less about you. Um, so uh, I, I've, I've, a long time ago, two friends of mine got in an argument online. Um, these two guys got an argument online on, on uh, dropzone.com. I'll, I'll, they'll <laughs> completely remain nameless. And one guy goes, well, I know a guy who did this, accusing the other guy. And the other guy would say, well, I know a guy who did this. And this argument went back and forth. It and sounds it, awesome. It, yes. it's, and dude, <laughs> Does anyone two, have any popcorn? Two super fucking high up the food chain guys in this world, and one of them is still super highly respected up the food chain. And I'm laughing at it going, this is stupid. And one of the guys says, yo, DJ, he invoked your presence in this conversation. And the presence was a background I had, something I did. And I did nothing wrong, but I was just uh, associated to the people who were in the, in the argument. Right. And uh, he's like, are you going to defend yourself? I'm like, no, number one. He's, no, he said, why not? Number one, I have nothing to defend. He's not attacking me. He's just explaining me and the story about you. 
Number two, arguing with an idiot makes mute your mic. <laughs> oh, you did? Oh, wow, that's all background noise. My microphone. Uh, why would it not? Well, I mean, like, why wouldn't it be? While we're doing ice, you might as well just put some um, here. Uh, arguing with an idiot makes me an idiot. That's that's what I came to terms with with that conversation. Mm-hmm. So now I go back to Nick, and I think, and at this point, I don't realize the truth, or I don't realize the truth. If I approach you and you don't respond, you either don't care. If you don't care, why should I care? Why should I argue with that thought process in you? Or you're an idiot, and you don't know any better. Why should I argue and care about that either? It's just, why am I giving you the power to make me mad? Why am I making that choice? So if you're a new jumper or an experienced jumper, that goes back to the point. Just explain what the steps are that need to be taken to get there or ask. Mm -hmm. Because if Nick, you had asked me that, and we'll go back now, I know where I'm at. Hey, Nick, you shouldn't be doing this. And you say, yo, DJ, then what should I do to be able to do that? I immediately get disarmed if I'm in a a weird place and say, oh, you want to learn? You you actually fucking care? Mm -hmm. And as a new jumper, if you get yelled at, politely ask, well, what steps should I take? I, I understand that jumps away and that's that's the amount of time, but what, what can I do to learn before I get there to get there? Well, and that's like kind of come comes down back to, you know, when I was taking your course, uh, I learned to talk in positives instead of negatives. So instead of saying, don't do this, say, do this or try this this way instead of saying can't or, you know, don't do this or whatever, you know, always say what they should do. And like you were talking about, like saying, how can they progress? How they get to that progression? You know, you want to go from A to B, but in between A and B, there's 8.1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, you know, to get to where you're at. Um, and it, that comes from the more perspective of, like, being more experienced than other people is, you know, having that knowledge of, like, what you can and can't do, but presenting it to someone in a way that they can understand it instead of, like, a negative, like, harsh way, you know? Because you always have to be negative. Like maybe you know, maybe they did spiral down like Nick did that one time. But <laughs> every time, every time, every time. But you know, maybe uh, speak in the manner of like, hey, maybe instead of spiraling that whole time, maybe just like make some turns, look in your general direction, three sixty all the way around, and then you know, go from there. Instead of saying, "Don't do this," I give away my secrets on the show sometimes. But I've, I've learned one of my favorite things to do is go up to a jumper and say, "Hey, man, can you do me a favor? Can you help me?" Mm-hmm. And um, Stephen Boyd is also. I'm throwing Stephen Boyd's tricks under the bus right here. Is also very guilty of this. I don't know if he does it consciously or not. But yo, uh, Joe, can you do me a favor? Can you help me out? Yeah, yeah. What's up, DJ? Hey, man. When we're trying to land, we're trying to get this vertical separation thing going. It's super helpful for the video guys to be able to land first uh, or ahead of you because you have a slow canopy to, to video their landings. Mm-hmm. So it would be a huge help to, to some of the staff and some of my buddies, Nick and them, if you could like just hang out and chill and not spiral so much to let them get by you and, and do this. Oh, yeah, DJ, we'll help you out. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and really be positive. Ask them for their help because ultimately we're asking them to be safer. Absolutely. But legitimately, aren't you asking for their help, Nick, when you do that? Yeah, it's a really great way to uh, to approach it and to ask it. I think that that ask needs to come from the right person, someone respected like yourself, like Steven. Like you. Because when, when someone sa- – <laughs> when someone uh, – you just totally interrupted my train of thought when you said like me. Uh, shit. It's true. I mean, it definitely needs oh, to come well, from the so right person. Someone right? like Steven who's so respected and such a, you know, all the time kind and – almost always thoughtful with what he's saying, uh, that's a really easy person to do that favor. When, when that person says, hey, can you do me a favor? It's like, oh, yes, please. What can I do for you? Because that's mm-hmm. just the sort of person that he is. 
So I think that that, uh, that works well coming from the right person for sure. I want to step out of this conversation for one second, and uh, we need to get over this. Okay. Do you respect Nick Lott? Absolutely. Oh, Do you respect on. Nick Lott, Justin? Yes, definitely. Nick, get the fuck over it. People respect you. I don't care what you think <laughs> about your shitty, shitty little asshole self. People well, respect I, you, I man. appreciate the compliment. I respect the shit out of you. Well, thank you. That, that means a lot. But I know, I know who Steven is. I know the sort of person that he is. I know what his, accomplish, uh, his accomplishments are. And uh, just that he has a really good, he's got a good, good vision. You know, both both as a as a person and as a skydiver, and there's not a lot of stuff that Stephen does, says, or ways that he acts that I couldn't stand behind. So that's that's why I like those things coming so well from uh, from him. And he's got you know he's the manager of the drop zone. He's got some authority. I think everything about uh, who he is as a person and his role for the drop zone is really appropriate for those sorts of things. I cannot. Dis- he, I. I. Uh, That's a very good point. I share a lot of my most private moments with Stephen at this point. Right now, him and I have got to work very closely together because of the relationship with the rating center to Skydive Spaceland, and then the relationship with DJ Marvin to the Drop Zone. Um, and Stephen and I have been friends for twelve, almost thirteen years now. But uh, lately, our business relationship has significantly grown, and in, in the amount of things I tell him, I've got nothing but absolute due respect for that man, and. Uh, I hope you understand. You're you're in that top level of respect that people for I, me. I appreciate that. I don't think that I have earned it, but I appreciate it nonetheless. <laughs> but I think we're getting closer to getting Steven on the show. You know that. I'm getting closer to being ready. Yeah? Him and uh, Yeah, so you and him had a conversation recently. What Steve, episode is this, Justin? What number? 47. 47. Ooh, I mean, I wish it was 42. That would have been awesome. 50. Ow, I just mm. chipped my face. <laughs> 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 Bam! <laughs> Mushroom stamp. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, so Stephen and, and you had a conversation recently about the show. Yeah, and I guess uh, he asked if you and I have conversations. You 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 explained the story to me actually, I believe. Yeah, I did. Uh, Stephen listened to uh, John Walker's episode, and he asked me if you and I have conversations about the show. Which we shout out to John Walker. Sh- shout out <laughs> to John Walker. <laughs> mighty, we, mighty. Are we taking a we, shot now? We don't have many. Kevin floral. Craig gave a shout out to Mr. P. Oh what? What? Yeah, that's kind of been dying off a little bit, huh? Mr. P. Yeah, you haven't been called that in a while, I feel like. But, uh, no, Stephen asked if we have conversations about the show. And I said, yeah, som- sometimes we talk about it. And he asked if I uh, ever listen to the show. And I don't. I don't. I've never watched an episode. I've never listened to an episode. And he asked uh, also if you listen to the show. And I said, I think he's probably listened to a couple, just more out of a like utility function of like he needed to check levels or whatever and then got caught up listening to it. And he said, oh, well, like I've noticed that the show's gotten a lot better since the last time I listened, and I just wanted to know if you guys had discussed things and worked things out to, to improve it. And I was like, no, you know, we kind of talk about small things here and there, but we don't really strategize very much. But uh, I, think that the, I think the show's gotten better, too, because some of the earlier episodes, like, they, they, it wasn't always fun for me. Like, there were certainly days where I was like, oh, man, I got to go do that, don't I? but now it's like it's something that i almost always look forward to and it's not uh you know it's not a drag it's more entertaining for everybody i feel like the guests get more out of it i feel like you and i get more out of it i feel like you and i are both becoming more comfortable being in that seat and having these sorts of conversations but uh i think some of that is, is practice and some of it is uh natural growth yeah magic can we call it magic Dude, like magic. we have it's a, a magic word. together. Our chemistry, 
Sure. Mm-hmm. Our chemistry. And I really feel that's part of it is is our ability to work together has really grown. Um, commonly, I sit where you sit. Right. And Nick and I, just this past week, uh, had a conversation about eye contact we have, the way we handle the mic back and forth, mm-hmm. where we can see each other handing the conversation. Where if, I, if Nick makes eye contact with me and I pull the mic away from my face, I'm handing him the conversation, and he recognizes it. If he grabs his mic and pulls it to his face and looks at me, he wants the conversation. Which is odd with us being side-by-side on this couch. Have you noticed that at all tonight? I I have, but I don't know if you've noticed. I constantly keep looking at you to make sure I'm in tune with where you're at. Yeah, but I I I have seen you guys staring at each other a lot. I've gone to interrupt you a handful of times and be like, shit, he's not looking. (laughs) (laughs) Throw a pillow at me. (laughs) Throw Ben's... This is Ben's boner pillow. Oh, (laughs) jeez. All right, let's get get back to... No, you had a point with Steven. Um... So I didn't want Steven on the show because uh, Steven has a lot of skydiving experience and a lot of background, mm. and I don't fucking care. Um, we Ooh, have a lot yeah. of really cool skydivers and skydiving experience. Steven has won like four gold medals in a row, mm-hmm. and it is probably the least impressive personality trait he has to me because, as you said, he's that impressive as an, as an individual and as a man. You, Stephen, and I share a lot of common books, common people. Uh, Jocko Willinks, we, we've uh, either read or been into some of what he's done. Uh, what's the guy, uh, Start With Why, Simon Sinek. I don't, did you read or listen to his yeah, book? Yeah, it's a great book, yeah. Uh, why is such Start a powerful why, yeah. man. The limbic brain, I've, I've done some more study on that. Uh, so we have a very common feeling about personal growth, personal attitude, and then also leadership styles and, and what we do as leaders. And so I wanted to wait to have Stephen on until we could really partake of that conversation. Mm-hmm. And and so I'm still at the end. Like, I don't... I remember trying to barter uh, him into episode 50, that that would be a good one. And his response was, how about episode 100? He's, it's not going to be 100. <laughs> it ain't going to be that long. Well, so you know what the best things I found about Stephen was a long time ago when he had this bus that he had at the drop zone. And I saw a sticker on the side that he put on there. And it said, Scott, I just think they're so cool but they're really not. Jumping Jer. Oh, man. Like, I just saw that. I was like, man, that is that is one of the coolest stickers I've ever seen. And, like, the most, like, prominent, like, you know, it's got everything. They are so cool, but at the same time, you're like, they're not not really that cool. And, like, that's how I've envisioned him, and I think that's kind of what you guys are kind of That's on his box bit. somewhere. Yeah. 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 Do you ever look at somebody and be like, man, you're not even cool. Like, you're just skydiving to trick people into thinking that you're cool. Do you ever get that? In the mirror every day. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And then I think about me and be like, hey, hey, shithead, you did that same thing, remember? Oh, yeah. I did. I did do that. Mm -hmm. Man, skydiving is fucking an odd collection. I look around skydivers and I look at who I believe is some of the leaders and coolest skydivers out there and some of the, the leading edge skydivers. And I would look back at them in what we would call our cliques of high school, and they would be the dorky little outcast. Mm-hmm. And in skydiving, they're the cool motherfucker. And by the way, the cool motherfuckers in high school are now rejects. Yeah. So, I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with <laughs> yeah, these you statements. You peaked in high school. Is, man. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you peaked in high school. So, um, fortunately for me, I still have the best years yet to come because I've never peaked because I'm just not the greatest at everything. So, <laughs> looking forward to that. Aren't you? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, when, when does this, you guys keep talking about peaking. When does it happen? Because it's happening less and less often in the mornings. Oh, man. Wait oh. a minute. Hold on a second. Um, That's just sad. Oh. <laughs> makes me sad. Um, you, you've... Uh, man, now we've completely attracted. <laughs> no, uh, we're talking right. about Steven. I, I, Let's was, just, I was thinking about actually something you guys were talking about. Should we talk about wiping? 
Oh, man. I, was, I, right, I did have a plan to get to this. Let's go left field from wiping. Uh, <laughs> you wipe so from you, left field. You, were, <laughs> yeah, you guys different. don't do that too? I mean, Front to now. back, back to front, with or my front left field. This was with actually my toes, a conversation. <laughs> this was actually a conversation. That Here he comes, deep side. from left field, Joe Getty with a toilet paper. Anyways, wow. What did I get myself into here? Have you? Um, I don't know how many episodes you've listened to, if any, but there's a constant conversation that comes up. Uh-huh. So Brayden was on the show. Oh man! And See, this is exactly how the, the conversation with now. last time too is Brayden. He always brings this up no matter where he goes. God, I, I love him. But yeah, he's talking. To, you probably heard his story. He's in boarding school. He's wiping his ass, and he's wiping his ass backwards. He's wiping shit all over his balls. Right? Okay. So. So Braden's in the middle of this joke. He's telling this joke. He's telling this story. And he's like, yeah, and I didn't understand. No one ever taught me how to wipe, and I was wiping from from back to front. And DJ's like, well, what's weird about that? And we totally skipped over it. We didn't even notice it because Braden, like... Braden and I were just like paying attention to we both knew Braden was doing a bit, right. you know, and we didn't even pay attention to like, yo, DJ still wipes back to front, and we didn't even talk about it. So then it just kept being a conversation. And I think with your medical background, I feel like you have a little bit of uh, a little bit more. Uh, your opinion matters just a little bit more. And but I I've put some thought into this. Okay, mostly every time I wipe my ass. Uh, <laughs> Like I don't know that it really you matters me when you wipe your ass often. When you touch your butthole, often. I come across your I, mind. I think about us in this room. Yes. Oh God. Thinking about looking in your eyes. Uh, anyway, I don't think it's so much a question of what direction the toilet paper is moving against your asshole. Roger. Front to back or back to front. I really think for me, it's more of which from which direction does your hand approach? Because I don't. Are really, you I avoiding? Pinch. Hang on. Hang on. Are you? Having to use two hands because you're moving dick and balls out of the way right. with one hand, or are you just going around the back way where there's no dick in the way? Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess when it comes down to like uh, my education, as far as it goes to like infections and stuff like that, like for a woman, definitely like wipe front to back because you're, you're pulling, not a woman, right? You're pulling it away from like urethra <laughs> from anus. I mean, I'm sorry to use medical terms because I know some people are uncomfortable with that, but. Uh, as far as as far as guys go, I mean, I think it's just a stigma that you're wiping like uh, shit into your balls. But I mean, uh, you do you do you, man? Do like, you reach between or do you reach around? That's the question. It it depends on if I am in a European slash Asian toilet versus a American <laughs> toilet. Okay, American oh. toilet. Here we yes. are in America. What are we gonna do? Uh, it also depends on the TP too. Like, do I have, do I have one ply or two ply? You got all the fucking your your all mighty- the ply. Right? Hold on. You got, this is you what got I want you to do. Land toilet Go paper. in the bathroom right now. Okay. <laughs> See what direction right back. your hand right goes. <laughs> I have high quality toilet paper. High quality, definitely. He's got, he's got two ply. I've seen, it's nice. Maybe even three. Shout out to the boys. Mighty Mighty Spaceland. <laughs> Spaceland has the fucking best drops on toilet paper. They it's really true. do. Fuck honestly. So Are you doing the shout out on purpose or is this really? No, yeah. that was. Dude, have you. Have you noticed the quality of toilet paper at Spaceland? Yeah, it's great. Always. Yeah. For, I've been there for, what, nine years now? This is Ten not years, by mistake. Like I have thanked the Boyds in the past, and every single one of the Boyds say all of our customers at some point will have to take a poo. At some point, they have to do that, and there's nothing like good toilet paper. The Boyds are very firm believer in high-quality toilet paper. Most businesses <laughs> buy single ply crappy shit. Mm-hmm. This is a crazy like conversation. It's but it's, right but it's funny because it's true. Like the, this is so true. Yes. Like I go to hospitals all the time. It's always one ply, and I'm like, oh, it sucks. Man. And then I go to Spaceline, and it's three ply. I'm like, 
those hospitals are waking, making like at least 10 times more than this drop zone is, but they spend their <laughs> money on the toilet paper. And you know what? At the end of the day, that makes you happy. The mighty, mighty Boyds. You know, mm-hmm. like JRE, they use the powerful. Yeah. Was brought it in mighty, mighty. And that's where mighty, we're at. mighty. So, so when you're wiping your mighty, mighty asshole, Joe Getty. <laughs> with mighty, mighty tripod. Damn it, I was trying to avoid this conversation. <laughs> mighty, mighty tripod. So reach between or reach around. Uh, uh, like I said, it, it's, it depends. You know, am I Both? doing European? What do you mean it depends? You're sitting on my shitter right here next to you. You've been staying. How yeah. much time have you spent in Europe compared to how much time you spent in America? When you wrecked I mean, my bathroom today. I mean, it's considerable that I, I did spend six months in Italy when yeah, I was in high school. Yeah, six months? So. You're, how old are you? Dude, I, I used a bidet there, man. I didn't wipe. That See, that's a whole other game. I right. got to try a bidet. See, that's what I'm it's saying. amazing. Like, the bidet is amazing. I'm just saying, y'all should get one. It makes sense. Because honestly, let's think about it this way. No, I'm answer avoiding the, the question. I'm avoiding, the, <laughs> I know I'm avoiding the answer. Okay. So I'm avoiding the answer because if you get poop on yourself, on your asshole, let's say, <laughs> you, can, you can wipe it off with TP. <laughs> from medical terms to and asshole. Y'all, y'all can wipe that shit off, literally. Man, I got poop TP, on my asshole right? taking a shit again. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought, right? But so seriously, in theory, you got poop on your asshole. You can get that stuff off with TP on your asshole, and it's perfectly okay. Anywhere else on your body, and it is the most disgusting thing you've ever. Like if you get it on your hand, <laughs> yeah, If you get it on your arm, it is disgusting. <laughs> you wipe that shit off with toilet paper on your ass, and you're like, wipe yeah, I'm cool. Off. I'm cool. I smell good. And then like, no, you really don't. At the end of the day, like, get a bidet. It's so fine. Brian Menard has more medical training. No, than you. I don't care. He really you really don't. <laughs> you can't bring him up. No, you cannot testify for someone else's wiping technique unless they're here on the show. That's the only way. Menard, you gotta come on the show. It, You've gotta happen. testify. You've gotta be here, bro. I actually asked Brian Menard to be on the show. Yeah, because you heard that he wipes fucking back to front, and you want someone to defend your case with medical background. <laughs> it's gonna be two hours of how we wipe. How you wipe? No, I'm gonna get the most like expert proctol. I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna start looking on yellowpages.com for proctologists. So I'm going to get as many of them as I can to all come and fit in this one room. We got a Yellow Pages phone book at the, at the front door the no other day. No one uses phone. You really so did? I, yeah, no at, fucking shit. Got oh, one. Wow. Holy shit. Saved it. Honestly, though, at the end of the day, like when you talk, like let's say do talk to a proctologist, however you say that. At the end of the day, <laughs> how close is a man's anus to his urethral opening? Not, not very. Exactly. So when it comes to women, yes, front to back. I get it. It makes sense. You don't want to wipe that shit into your urethra, right? For men, I mean... So yeah, as me, long as you're like precise about it, you're like not wiping it into your balls. Like, come on, like we're smarter than that, aren't we? Maybe. Yes. I mean, I just Maybe. go the direction where there aren't balls in the way. You just lift <laughs> those out of the way. Yeah. I, I know to, yours are like really hard to get out of the way, but I, I mean, get to wipe my asshole and fondle my balls at the same time. It just makes sense. <laughs> yeah, thank you. He answered the question. <laughs> no way. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he just answered. They just high five. Yeah. It was, an, it was an it was an awkward high That's five. Let's be honest, so it weird. was a little awkward. Do you wipe with that hand? Uh, maybe. Well, then it wasn't awkward. Depends <laughs> on the day. <laughs> My hand smells better now. Um, Wait, so you're a switch wiper? Maybe. I mean, I ride both sides when I'm snowboarding, so that means I can switch it up. Dude, right? when I had my left shoulder uh, surgery repair, I'm left-handed. Mm-hmm. Wiping with my right hand was the most weird, awkward, awkward difficult thing I've ever done. Mm-hmm. I man, brushing my teeth with my <laughs> right hand, dude. It I had was the same a, thing when I, I broke my right wrist when I was younger. It was so. How'd you, how'd you do weird. that? Hmm? Rollerblading. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the gayest thing ever. Yeah, how was it when you told your parents? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> My dad decided to take me to a rollerblading rink, and I—I I don't think I'd ever fucking rollerbladed before. Mm-hmm. I was 13 years old and fell and braced myself with my hand. Oh, and broke both the ulna and radius. Oh, that's yeah, that's crazy. So, Nick. Vice 
versa. Yes, sir. Uh, you can speak on the mic on that. Vice versa. I think that's one, actually. Nope. Karbach. Uh, to the Karbach. Oh, what do you want? The Top vice, shelf. Vice versa. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Uh, it's, it's, it's yellow and it's blue. Uh, <laughs> how do you say? Oh, thank you. Um, so now you're a traveling nurse. Yes. You, you, you went from full-time skydiver to nurse, um, and, and now you travel. Every three months, you go to a different place. Nick, I'm so proud of you. Um, skydiving. This is a Zevia, my friend. <laughs> oh, damn it. Yeah. Those don't give you diarrhea. <sighs> okay. Do they give you diarrhea? Yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll find out in the morning. <laughs> More wiping conversations. That sounds like a personal <laughs> problem. <laughs> when you have diarrhea, Justin, um, the, I, I love Something Zibia. about the sweetener Stevia. in it fucks Zibia. me up. Zibia. Um, Let's try this out. Anyways, you were saying. You get to travel as a nurse, and that's one of the things to me that's interesting is skydivers like to be nomads. Skydivers like to travel. We like to get around. Mm-hmm. As a traveling skydiver, um, and you get to change drop zones basically every three months, um, yep. sometimes more often because you don't really – you know, three months in a winter place, you don't get a drop zone. Right. What advice would you give to a new jumper, uh, to any jumper going to a new drop zone for the first time? Um, so I would I would say just like in nursing, like as a travel nurse, um, you know, you have your skill set. You know what you can do. You know your knowledge base. Um, it's the idea of knowing that you don't know something. So when it comes down to it at the end of the day, when I go to a new place, when I go to a new hospital, I always ask questions. And sometimes it'll take me three, four, five times to ask the same question to get the result that I need to place it mentally in my mind. Uh, is that, you know, ask questions and don't be afraid to stand up and say like, hey, you know, even though you've asked the question once, like, hey, I don't know this. Can you tell me, can you tell me one more time? Um, so ask questions, know where you're at uh, is also the biggest thing. Um, Cause like I, when I was skydiving, skydiving in Nebraska, everywhere was a square. It was a perfect square everywhere corn and soybeans everywhere and the only way that i knew where i was going is because i asked like hey how do you recognize where the drop zone is and they're like oh you see that little thing over there that little 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 tiny thing that you can barely see i'm like yeah like that points directly at the drop zone like oh okay like it makes perfect sense now so asking questions about you know where to land how to find where you are you know different procedures for how different drop zones operate is the biggest thing too because you know at at spaceland today like um i was in the plane i was last one on because i was doing a hop and pop i held onto the bar and i pushed the ladder back for the the you know person to come up and grab it and she pushed it back on i was like oh maybe i shouldn't do that you know like something little procedures like that like when i saw her push the ladder back onto the plane i thought like maybe her and the pilot hadn't connected yet to say like hey the plane's ready to go you can go kind of thing you know so learning the little ins and outs here and there, and sometimes that's just experience, but sometimes it's more um, asking questions, you know, being social with everybody. Like, it's nerve-wracking. You know, even to this day, you know, I've gone to countless drop zones and countless different places. It's all about involving yourself as best you can in that drop zone, in that feel, asking questions, being a part of what's going on, uh, making yourself comfortable, and making, um, you know, you trying to, like, do that effort, put that effort forward, um, makes other people more comfortable, I find. And that you know where it's going on around the drop zone. It's a huge help. We're a very transient DZ at Spaceland. And Nick, I think we see new guys visiting all the time. And, and we commonly have questions. Is this visiting jumper going to be somebody who's very easy to deal with? Um, and, and when I say easy to deal with, you don't necessarily have to do the right things to be easy to deal with. You have to be receptive to what's going on at that DZ. Mm-hmm. Um, or are they going to be very difficult and think they know everything? And right. just because my DZ does it differently than your DZ doesn't mean either one of them's right. It's the right place in the right time. Mm-hmm. 
And that's one thing is is go to a new DZ expecting that drop zone to do things differently and accept that it is okay to be done differently. Right. Um, there, there are best common practices, but there are also acceptable common practices. Mm-hmm. And as long, as long as it drops in somewhere in that range, be safe, be smart. I'd rather do an acceptable common practice in agreement than do the best common practice in disagreement with the acceptable common that's going on. So, so know those things. Um, one of the things that I suggest to jumpers is, is two things very easily for landing is number one, uh, the month before you go out, look at the winds aloft at that drop zone. Find the winds aloft report there and, uh, or for that airport. And uh, Mark Schultz, uh, help the spelling, help me get the spelling on Mark Schultz. I think it's Mark, M-A-R-K-S-C-H-U-L-T-Z.com. MarkSchultz.com or maybe .net is the winds aloft report. Uh, it gives it for skydivers. Mm-hmm. It works really good. It gives it every 1,000 feet. Find out what the common winds aloft are in that area. And then look on Google Earth on that drop zone and look. M-A-R-K-S-C-H-U-L-Z-E.net. I would have been wrong, so do that one more time, please. M-A-R-K-S-C-H-U-L-Z-E.net. Uh, I typed it in the way that you slash said it, and it, it, it still pulled it up. Hmm. Okay, cool. Um, I'll it, put a link on the Facebook. Thank you. It's one of the best Winds of Loft reports out there. Yeah. And, and look at what it is, and then look at Google Earth. And so the first time I went to Skydive Dallas, I knew that time of year winds were out of the south. So I actually looked at Google Earth, and I studied where the drop zone was, and then I pulled the view out from 5,000 feet and looked at what the surrounding area was and looked at landmarks that stood out to me because I don't care what landmark stands out to you. If I, I can find what stands out to me, it works. And then I studied the area to the south that I thought I might not guarantee to get out in. Absolutely. And, and study that and make sure you know it. And do when you go there, the level of calmness that gives you. When I'm on the climbed altitude and we're passing through eight grand, and I look out the window and be like, Okay, I, I know I know this picture. Mm-hmm. It brings me that level of calmness that allows me to perform better on the skydive I'm on, whether the performance is I'm, I'm normally a traveling examiner or whether the performance is uh, getting out and just enjoying the view. Mm-hmm. Val and I, when we travel our first jump, we commonly, if it's a beautiful place, like to go out and just do a two-way where we're looking in a direction, holding hands, just kind of holding hands, looking out over the view like, hey, what's That's up? That's the cutest thing I've ever heard. Oh, dude. And we'll turn. We'll have a plan like, we'll look this way. We'll do it for a while at the south too. We'll turn. We'll look at this way. If you see anything that stands out to hmm. you, just point at it. You know, let's let's just share the view together, dude. It is. You call her dude? Bro. <laughs> Bro, I'm going to kiss you on the mouth. <laughs> I'm going to totally eat the way. That was cool in the wrong place. I love you, Valerie. She's watching. I yes. Lo- is she? <laughs> yeah, I bet she is. I love you, the mighty, mighty Valerie. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm, oh, I'm, man. Uh, Joe, you might have to sleep on the couch because I'm going to use the guest bed tonight. Fair enough. <laughs> Damn it. Um. No, I, I love that. But go out and enjoy the view. Uh, look mm-hmm. at Google Earth so you can spend the time to do what you want. That's one thing. The second thing I would recommend people do is at Spaceland, we have an alternate main landing area. And I told new jumpers, hey, man, go intentionally. Like before you get on the plane, say, I'm going to land in an alternate main landing area. Give yourself that experience because the first time you land off, you're going to feel super cool with, hey, man, I can land someplace other than my normal landing area. The first time you travel to a new drop zone, yes, using a different landing area at your DZ is going to give you enough comfort and confidence that you can translate or move your, your landing pattern to a new place. It'll help you out a lot. Mm-hmm. Culturally, you're talking about getting to know people. What, what can I, like, if I show up to a new DZ, what, what do you usually show up with? 
Um, well, usually I show up with my, I have a, a vector container and it's a 303. So it's the tiniest container they make. Right. And people always give me like this. Hey, what are you jumping there? We got in there and I was, oh, it's Valkyrie. And they're like, what size? 75. I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, they're like all sketchy. And like when I went to Omaha about it, um, they were like, well, you know, can you fly that? Like, don't kill yourself on that. Like, be careful with that. I'm like, it's okay. Like I, I, I'll go safe for you guys, you know? Um, but like, I'm like, where do you guys want me to land? You know, like, where is a safe place for me to land? Even though it was a Cessna drops and there's only four people in the plane and three of them are, you know, there's a TAM student, TAM instructor and videographer. I'm like, where would you like me to land? You know, where is safest for me to land? And they would point out directions and whatnot. And I'm like, okay, like I'll land there, make this more comfortable for you, more comfortable for me, you know, like plan it out. And like you said, you know, knowing where you're at, uh, makes a big difference. Um, so getting to know people and like you said, knowing where to, to go, where to land, where to be. Um, and then like having that connection with somebody, I feel like makes a huge difference when you don't know somebody and let's say, you know, accidentally you cut somebody off and you haven't talked to them like at a bigger drop somewhere, you know, there's an otter and there's 23 people in the plane, not knowing that someone else is going to also land there is a big thing. So talking about that ahead of time, you know, what you're doing, where you're landing, where you're going, um, can make a big difference, you know, in the attitude of the drop zone and what you take back from that. So I feel so sorry for you, Nick, because I talk about looking at these beautiful scenes and I was talking about your <laughs> I get a stare at someone's face. No, dude, your you're, face. You're about to go to like some of the most beautiful possible skydiving that's destinations true. and you get to stare at an infinite spot in the sky and not take yeah, the beauty that's of what, what you're I'm doing. Had. I honestly so uh for the VR jumps that we did in Hawaii. It wasn't until I watched those jumps that I was like, "Man, this place is pretty crazy. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> this wild, is really right? Neat." I was like, "Fuck, this is I did I made this kind of." I guess that's not totally true because I did catch myself enjoying it under canopy. So you're having trouble with the the the, the camera that you're using? Is that what I'm getting at? Like, yeah, I need help. Can you come? Yes. <laughs> Just right there, though. Ooh, Ooh. someone's got a good aim. Shout mm. out to John Mary. Hashtag John Mary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to keep I am really excited to go on that Switzerland trip, and that's why I just saved that Winds Aloft uh, that, that you just threw out there, because it's not at a drop zone. They're chartering a helicopter. Oh. I don't know if I, that works outside the U.S. Yeah, I don't know that either, but I'm going to look. Mm. <laughs> but I'm a little sketched out, because I don't know how much experience this uh, helicopter pilot has flying jumpers. I don't know where we are going. I don't know either. But it's, okay. it's a um, really pretty valley in the middle of Switzerland. Um. I you remember a good buddy of mine, um, Luke Hively. Yeah, Luke Hively lives in Switzerland now. Is that so? Yes, sir. And I bet you, if anybody in Switzerland could get you a line on how to get the winds aloft in the area, he would be the man to do so. Asking um, him. It, it, do you already have a hookup with him, line with him? Are you in communication with him? Uh, yeah, I'm sure we're friends on Facebook. Cool. Hit hit him up. Um, I'm sure he'll remember you. If not, uh, let me know. I'll give you his email or whatever. I get you guys tied up together. Um. So he can come all over your teeth. A little inappropriate, and that's my move. (laughs) And I just now realized that was a conversation we had before we started recording this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Son of a bitch. Somebody messed up. We have some pretty good conversation before we hit record, just so you guys know. (laughs) That's why I try to in those conversations, because I will carry them onto the show and... 
Sometimes we get ourselves in trouble if we acknowledge those conversations. <laughs> you mean sometimes you get me in trouble. <laughs> probably, probably best that we don't talk about those. Well, there was this time about Justin, uh, hippopotamus, and three ostriches. Hmm. So something about Mike Tyson and that the was, tiger. That was the first time I got crabs. Hmm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, Traveling jumper. Uh, one of the questions that I asked you is, what do you show up with? Nick, as a oh, new yeah. jumper, as a traveling jumper, what do you think the first thing I should show up with is? Uh, well, bring your logbook, because a lot of places are really adamant sure. about having that logbook. Keep that thing show. up to date, damn it. Yeah, I mean, it <laughs> doesn't take much. A couple of signatures before you leave home, right? Not a big deal. Uh, I should definitely bring my rig. I'm definitely going to bring some uh, stow bands and pull-up cords, because I hate being the new guy at a new place. Bugging packers who don't know me. I'm just going to say, hey, dude, where can I get some rubber bands? Uh, So I bring that. Bring my altimeter, obviously. Uh, Bring a camera, because who skydives without a camera anymore? Me. Um, (laughs) What what else do I bring? Is that that the list I'm giving you? A case of beer. Mm. Yeah, I don't do that. So for (laughs) real, like... Bring a case of beer if you're a traveling jumper. And if it's a small DZ, walk up with it and just tell people, hey, where can I put this for later on? I brought a case of beer. It's my first time at this DZ. If it's a large drop zone, don't pull it out right away. Wait till you get tied in with some new jumper or, excuse me, new to you jumper, some jumper from that drop zone. And when you're with a group, it's like, hey, yo, man, I got a case of beer, by the way. Where would I put it? Where would I, I, I have it? And just bring that case of beer. Um, what's the quickest way to get a skydiver to talk? Beer. Just, I was going to say a gun. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> we are in Texas, though. So just, I, I understand that. I was going to say, just ask him if they're a skydiver. <laughs> yeah. That was my answer. Are you a skydiver? <laughs> Tell me about your last jump, bro. Yeah. <laughs> but a case How sick is your flying skill, man? Dude, are you the best Super ever? Sick. You carve head down, bro? Super sick. I was actually approached in the airport uh, on the way here a couple days ago. And it's like, hey, man, how many jumps you got? I'm like, oh, like 3,000 ish. She's like, oh. Shit, no way. Like, really? This is a woman? No, this is a guy. Oh. He's like, man, I could never do that. I'm like, well, you know, you know gotta try, you know right? skydive. Well, I had my rig on me. It was on my back, and he kind of saw it, I guess, for whatever reason. Do you not carry that in a rig sleeve or something? Uh, Shout I, out to rig sleeve. Mind your show. Hashtag rig sleeve. <laughs> I would really appreciate <laughs> a new hashtag one. Um, I don't have one, unfortunately. Uh, I've been meaning to get one for a couple months now, but I just haven't done it. I so. have zero affiliation with rig sleeve outside. I've bought them. Okay. I own a rig sleeve. Val owns a rig sleeve. And fucking A, get a goddamn rig sleeve. Do okay. they? Does TSA even notice that it's a that it's a parachute anymore? They did, actually. They were like, hey, is that a parachute? Like, before I even, like, put it on the X-ray table, like, is that, an, is that a parachute? And I'm like, yeah. Like, okay, I cool. swear the last eight airports that I've gone through mm-hmm. carrying my rig, not in a rig sleeve, just a, just my rig, mm-hmm. nothing. Nothing. No one said anything. Huh. The little lady on the X-ray, oh, yeah, you see that little explosive charge in there? That's what you're <laughs> supposed to be looking for, lady. You're not going <laughs> to say shit? You didn't right. see that? Oh. You didn't see that little? I don't know what all those things are in his backpack. Not going to ask him now. Seems fine to me. It's Fuck too it. late. We're really busy. <laughs> the only time in the last 15-plus years that I've been asked about my rig is a TSA agent said, excuse me, sir, um, I'm training this new agent right here, and I recognize you have a rig in the x-ray machine. Do you mind if I take a second to show them some of these components, and can you help explain them what they are to them? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, man, you're going to stop me from getting on a plane if I say no. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> um, and, and man, if you're a traveling skydiver and TSA asks you to help them, absolutely cooperate. I know Definitely. they're rejects from Walmart security. <laughs> they can't get a job at Target. You remember that Glenn you probably was a TSA agent. 
right? And that Glenn is Bain. absolutely my evidence <laughs> of a Walmart employee. Dude's got a picture of a fucking squirrel on his ass. Hey, that's hey, that's a really story. good tattoo. I've had the other side of the spectrum, though. I've had to unpack my rig in the airport going mm. through security. So technically, by FAA regulations, I believe, to the best of my knowledge, that that is illegal. I don't think that they can ask you to open the reserve. But I th- this is what happened. They swabbed the rig, right? Right. And whatever they swabbed it for, he said it came back positive for glycerin. And he's like, yeah, it's probably from your deodorant. I was like, cool, that's not a bomb. Can I get on the plane now? <laughs> and you didn't actually you, use the word because bomb. Because you said bomb. You? No, I didn't say it. Because you said the B word. You know, I, was, I was super calm, very nice, really respectful. Yeah. And uh, the, he's, he's going through a manual as, the, as this is happening because he's, he's like, this has never happened before. <laughs> so I'm like, that doesn't make me feel good, but let's keep going. He I got to do this. And then so they, they have me open the main. I don't know if they knew what the reserve was or that that was even a, a, another thing that could possibly have been opened. But this was kind of ironic. The, the guy who did my uh, graduation jump, which was my, seven, my seventh jump back in the AFF program that I went through, he works for Southwest Airlines. Oh. And as I'm packing, so they go through my rig, they look in my into my canopy, yep, still don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> Pack it back up. Sounds about right. So I'm packing my rig, and the, this, this dude who took me, who was my instructor on my level seven graduation jump, walks out and sees me packing my rig on the floor behind airport security. He's like, oh, they didn't like your AAD, huh? <laughs> I was like, no, they didn't even get that far. <laughs> they didn't even notice that. But, uh, yeah, pretty funny. It's fine. I've heard from uh, TSA agents, one of the things they get confused by the most is your reserve spring. If mm-hmm. you actually look at the spring, oh, that's yeah. weird. it's a coil, coil of wires. And so that's when the TSA agent who asked me, like, hey, can you help me show this person and explain to them? And I think this trip was out of uh, Daytona Beach. I was... Um, I think I was flying out of Daytona Beach. But, uh, yeah, man, no, that's just a spring. That's what this does. When you open your reserve, it launches out. You know, you give them an explanation. You sound like you're a nice guy, and then they let you go. Right. Um, I forget why we were traveling and talking shit about Glenn's tattoo. Oh, but Glenn Downing did tell me this, that when they do swab your rig, which I believe is, is protocol now, when they see a parachute come through, they're supposed to swab it, mm-hmm. put it through the little test steel, comes back negative. Have a nice day. That you ask for a clean swab. Yes. Can I have a fresh swab, please? Oh. And the lady was, I've only asked that one time. The lady was very nice. She said, oh, yes, absolutely. She changed her gloves, got a new swab. No big deal. Interesting. I was wondering how that would I've go. I've never heard that. Because you didn't yeah. listen to Glenn Downey's episode on Gravity no. Lab Radio. hey I haven't so. traveled since then. <laughs> Gravity. Gravity, Gravity Lab. Lab Radio. Yeah, uh, oh, jeez. Um... Really weird. <laughs> I don't know where that all went to. Uh, who knows? Um, traveling skydiver, uh, bring a case of beer. Bribe, bribe the locals to yeah. talk. Bribe the locals to have a good time. Let them know that, that you're there to learn. And I think that's the biggest thing is you, you've promoted asking questions and asking people right. where they're at, man. Absolutely. So where's Mr. Joe Getty off to next? I am off to Cincinnati, Ohio come April... 18th, so you're still in Salt Lake right now? Correct. So what's the... I'm from Salt Lake City, uh, for those yeah. of, who, of you listening who don't know. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest thing that you see in the hospital in Salt Lake City? In the hospital in Salt Lake City. Um, mm-hmm. It depends on what side of the unit that I'm on. So I work in the pediatric You're ICU. still doing pediatrics. Right, okay. so pediatric intensive care unit. So I'm either on the cardiac side or the, uh, the like regular ICU side. And so it's either like all these kiddos sick with um, RSV, which is respiratory syncopal virus, uh, which don't take your kids anywhere if they're less than the age of two months, basically, is what I'm trying to get at right there. Um, but so it's either like they have this respiratory disease where they're disease, I say, 
which they get over, but you can't really treat it with anything. You just treat the symptoms. Yeah, the air in Utah is really bad this time. Right, the, the inversion and everything <laughs> like that. And everything no, like that. it's no shit. It's, it's, it's really, really bad. bad. We were talking about this earlier. We, like, yeah. It's just basically like smog, and it gets stuck in yeah, the city. beneath that, that cold air up top, Yeah, and it's disgusting. We were talking about inversions, and DJ was like, hot air, cold air. I'm like, well, it's a little bit more complicated than that. LA gets that way, too. Right, so, I mean, you just get this huge inversion. People, kids get sick, or people get sick. People touch the kids. Kids get sick, and mm. then they come to the hospital. So, hmm. I'm not gonna make a joke about people touching <laughs> kids. I good wanted good. to real bad. All right, all right, all right. Good How do you good know deal. it's bedtime at Michael Jackson's house? The big hand touches the little hand. Oh. Do you know what uh, Michael Jackson's house and Walmart have in common? They both have little boys' pants half off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, uh, everybody dreams to grow up to be a rich white woman, and Michael Jackson <laughs> achieved that goal. So. You got a little stamp right there. Oh, man. I was actually, you, you were hanging out. I was jamming a little Michael Jackson's greatest uh, hits. I, I heard that. No worries. Yeah. Ah, dude. Something, <laughs> something about that. <laughs> Get at it, Nick. Get at it, man. Um, Salt Lake City, I think you were asking what do we see the most. Were you going yeah. for Mormons? Yeah, I mean... I no, mean, no. Okay. I wasn't gonna, <laughs> see, I, I grew up in Salt Lake City. So Salt Lake City in the city, there are actually not that many Mormons. It's, it's only all like, the little like places around. percent right? Or something like God, that? I don't think it's even that high. I think the whole state is mm-hmm. 50%. Okay. But that's all of the rural areas around. Right. Absolutely. That's where most of those people yeah, are. Yeah. Salt Lake City is a very liberal city. Mm-hmm. A huge, huge gay population. Yeah. Um, lots of really liberal left thinking people mm-hmm. but everywhere that's not in the city yeah crazy mormons super super conservative so don't really really friendly people i really like oh, mormon they're, families they're great they're so like, nice they make really good like the young people who work really good work ethic uh smart friendly uh i like everything about the religion except for the magic underpants and the burning <laughs> in hell part that they think everybody's gonna do i spent oh, about man. six months in uh, vernal utah see there you go mormons like crazy i don't even know where that is it doesn't but th- matter. Yeah, but, but their grocery stores and food are really good. You oh, they're, they're amazing. When you have twelve kids. Yeah, to be good. You should try on magical underpants. Oh wow! So you're going to Cincinnati next. Yes. A place called Start Skydiving. Right. Are you? Is that where you're planning on hitting? That up? is where I'm planning to go at. Yes, absolutely. Dude, Start Skydiving for me. I've I've never been there, but there's a little bit of a history because the owner started in Greensburg, Indiana, where I actually formerly worked. I remember when he was a student. Mm-hmm. Um, when he actually graduated, John Hart owns a place, runs a place. Um, when they pied him, they had a dogged herd in the pie tent. Oh. So they pied him with, you know, a whipped cream pie with a dogged herd in oh. it. Ouch. Uh, John Hart eventually started a team called Fast Tracks, Team Fast Tracks, uh, sponsored by his company, Selection.com. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting, man. They, they did really well for themselves. And then uh, he eventually branched off, started his own DZ, and, and a really good buddy of mine, Gene Newsom, works there. I don't know if Gene's managing just the demo team now or if he's managing the drop zone. Mm-hmm. But I've got a lot of friends there, a lot of people I've taught to skydive who actually work there now. Yeah. So uh, if you find Gene Newsom, please say hi to him. I will, indeed. So you're going to Cincinnati. What what y- what are you going to do in Cincinnati besides work as a nurse and skydive? Uh, well, my plan actually is to work a lot there. Um, but the the plan is to skydive, work, maybe go out on the town a little bit, um, go to Sandusky, Ohio, which I don't know if you guys know is Cedar Point is there. Um, so the world's tallest roller coasters, fastest roller coasters. I've had a history Tommy that. boy. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, yeah. That's where the movie takes place? Yeah. Yeah. God. So, Missed yeah, it. I'm going to go up there, have some fun. Um, 
But then my plan is eventually to, you know, take that three months or 13 weeks there, make some money, and then take, like, the rest of the summer off. So that could be a, a good skydiving opportunity. So, so if, you, if you get to take the rest of the summer off, mm-hmm. what's your goal for the summer? Uh, so my goal for the year, I'll start with this, is 250 skydives in the year. Um, so I'm down to 246 at this point, skydives for the year, so to make to make that goal. So I'm hoping that I'll make that goal in Cincinnati, and then after that, anything else is a bonus. So uh, maybe go to Skydive Chicago, maybe come back down to Spaceland, maybe go overseas and jump somewhere over there, but we'll see where that goes. Just living the dream. One day at a time. Dude, it sounds magical. I'd be curious to have you back next time you're in town, talk a little bit about what you're doing, wh- where you've been, some of the things you've seen, some of the, the events you've gotten to go to. Yeah. Um, till then, we, 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 we turn into a pumpkin very soon, man. Anything you want to share good. about Joe Getty, it's, people? It's, it's my fault. I have a bad time. I'm a little boy. No, it's dude, okay. I got some I got some <laughs> Neverwinter to play. Um, <laughs> no, that's funny. Oh, anything you want the world to know about Joe Getty to the landing area? Joe Getty to the landing area. So I learned this from uh, – I've been meaning to talk about this, actually um, – Greg Windmiller taught me this a couple years back um, when we had the uh, the uh, Swooping Nationals at Spaceland. And he was talking about if and when a person bounces off the ground and they need to be you know, evacuated, I guess you could say, out of their rig. Um, you've got the little tabs at the end of their you know, chest strap, leg straps. Cut it right at the tab. Take it off. Get it undone. When you're cutting along the jumpsuit, if you need to go, because the EMS, they love, they, they buy these like $1.50 trauma shears, right? <laughs> and they want to use those trauma shears. Even to this day, I've had them <laughs> for like six years, these trauma shears, and I love using them because they're just great. They cut through anything. I can literally cut pennies with them. Like, yeah, this is great. So when it comes down to cutting things, when it comes to EMS, they love doing it. So just do it before they get there because they don't know what they're doing when it comes to skydiving. So cut along the tabs so you can keep the webbing at the maximum extension that it has and then we kind of jumpsuits do it along the seams so that the riggers can re-implant them back later you resell them even up. if you have to let, throw a new panel in between the seams you can exactly you can fix the new panel but if you cut like right down like the you know <laughs> in between the seams it looks really weird you know just help a jumper out you know so. <laughs> those are those are both new tips. Like, so first of all, sometimes we can unthread the the buckle if we can. That's great, right? But so that's what I'm saying. Like, but if, if you, you can can't. unthread the buckle, you know, with a lot of these rigs out here, they're very super tight, especially in the leg straps. Like, cut the just cut the tab off because most of the time leg straps are too big, anyways. Just chop them right off the tab. That makes total fine. sense, man. Chest strap uh, usually you can undo, but also the same way, the same thing if you need yeah. to cut it. Mm-hmm. That's fucking epic, man. Little tips. Little tips. Speaking of little tips, Mr. P, how are you doing? I'm doing real good, and I got a real small tip, so that was a yeah. nice, uh, nice segue. Dude, are you excited for karaoke night? I'm pretty excited. It's going to be a really oh, good yeah. night. Are excited you gonna, to watch mm-hmm. the fights. Are you our opening act? Yeah, if, that's still, if that that's, offer still stands. What is your opening song? Straight up. Though? That's the question. I haven't told anybody yet. Can you tell me after the show? Maybe. Okay. I'll keep it a secret. I want to say... No, I want to say... You asked if I wanted to know, and I said no. I want to be surprised. Well, I think I... Are you gonna be the Are you gonna be the DJ DJ? I'm gonna be the MC. Hey, yo, DJ MC MC DJ 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 squared. But yeah, I gotta tell you if you're gonna queue up the song, right? Sure. You know my biggest worry is that it's gonna like because you know how some karaoke songs are just really shitty musically. Yeah. Like that the song isn't good. That's what I'm worried about. So if my go- my, my go to is always music. "Don't Stop Bleeding" by Journey. It never fails me. That's right. Thank you. Need to hold on and to that feeling. 
Oh my God, I fell in love with you. <laughs> Dude, if you uh, re- you went to the the uh, tax office this morning is what we call the I DMV did. here. Yeah, yeah. So you went out Hawk Road. Mm-hmm. Did you notice the stop sign there said "Don't believing" above and below the word "stop"? Oh man, I missed that. Did you put that on there? I did not, but yeah, I love the a person. Federal who, offense. So when, when when you get out, there's uh, when when you're going out Hawk Road, when yep. you turn left, there's that four way stop between here and the high school. Yeah. Dude, just don't stop believing. Look for it. Okay, well, uh, tomorrow I am going to Austin, so I will go that direction to, to get the picture. Yep. yep. You're going the back way, mm-hmm. just like you're supposed to be wiping. All right, good point. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go again. Dude, fight night, man. Um, uh, the fights look super epic. Uh, what fight are you looking f- uh, forward to the most? Oh, my God, dude. Did you fucking see what happened with McGregor today? No. Oh, my God, dude. So first of all, you know Khabib's supposed to fight Ferguson. The main event is Khabib Ferguson. Mm -hmm. You know on Sunday Ferguson got hurt. Yeah. Was it his rib? No, his knee. Knee. He fucking tripped on a cable on the fucking set of UFC tonight doing a fucking TV show. Oh, my God. A UFC fighter fucking tears his knee apart. Not cleared to fight. Beautiful. So now you have the fucking fight of the year. This is the fourth time this fight's been scheduled. The fourth time a fighter canceled. Twice each that, that they can't do it because of medical problems. So now, man, fucking one of the biggest fights of the year, one of the biggest fights current current era is just done. So now you got Khabib and Tony Ferguson supposed to fight for the lightweight heavy uh, the lightweight title. Max Holloway is taking his place. Max Holloway is the one forty five champ, the light heavyweight. Oh, champ. Oh, yep. Okay. Me, the uh, the um, featherweight champ. Mm-hmm. Uh, fucking. So the last person to hold both titles, featherweight and lightweight, was who? Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor. Mm-hmm. So now Max has got that potential. Max has got that chance. Uh, Khabib and Max have talked, or no, no, Khabib and and Connor have talked shit all this time. Today, Connor and his crew attack a UFC tour bus, fucking throw you know those guardrails, attack a tour bus, fucking throw attack. guardrails at the fucking tour bus. Broke the windshield throwing something at the tour bus. Dana White has come out with a public statement that fucking Connor, there's a warrant out for his arrest. He can't leave the state of New York. He can't fly out on an air flight be on a flight because of this warrant. Um, all sorts of fucking shenanigans. How did I miss this? Uh, dude, just happened. Artem Lobov is supposed to be on the card, part of Connor's crew. He got pulled from the card because he was involved in the attack. Um, so now, where am I at? Connor, like, like, wrote, uh, Dana White. Oh, they're they're not. I don't want any part of the fucking Connor McGregor business. I don't want to see him fight. Do you want to pay him? Pay to see him fight? Dana asked that because he wants to hear the fans say what? yes. Yeah, of course. Who's not right. gonna say yes to that? Dude, he just made an Money. ass of himself. He just attacked you. Fucking Dana White ain't a fucking fool. Whether he likes the dude or not, he's going to take the goddamn what you said money to make that fight. So I wanted Max Holloway to win. My, I now want to see that fight. I want to see Habib win. I want to see Habib, Habib win. Because if Habib wins, him and Connor get at it, dude. Either that or Max wins. And Max is now the 145-155 dual champ. Connor was the last guy to get it. So either guy wins, there is a beef with Connor. Lovely. That is the fight I'm in. You know, I I heard it said on the Rogan podcast he hasn't had a UFC or an MMA fight in 500 days. Dude, over 500 days since he defended his title. Yeah. Yeah. So, dude, there's so much about this card that I'm super excited for. Joanna Rose is a completely different story. That's the fight I'm most excited about. Did you see the face off? Yes, I did. You know how Joanna gets all fucking like super. She's all up in her grill. Yeah, yeah. She gets like my precious, uh, the the guy from Schmeagel from. Oh, Gollum? Lord of the Re- Gollum, yeah. She gets oh, like man. all up in their face. No, she's very chill, very calm, stand up straight in her face. A very different face off than I've ever seen her have. Uh, her interview, uh, dude, I'm excited about the card. So, um, you ready for 
Yeah, fight night. Let's go. Podcast. Me and you are gonna fight at uh, <laughs> at karaoke night too. We're gonna Indian excited wrestle. To see this. Gonna, it's gonna be a short fight because that's every short. Because Nick's short. Because Nick will whoop my ass straight up. I got no doubt about that. Um, Mr. Uh, Grubbs, anything you want to close with? No, that's it. Y'all covered it. Cool, man. Um, guys, gals, come out September 7th, excuse me, uh, April 7th to Skydive Spaceland. New Shout jumpers. out to Skydive Spaceland. We've got a little Hashtag. mentor jump. Shout out to karaoke. Hash uh, <laughs> we got a little bit of a mentor thing going on, free canopy coaching. Saturday night, April 7th, we have karaoke night. We have uh, the fights going on. Come out, hang out, plenty of beer. Till then, this is Grab Lab Radio. Blue Skies, we are out.